Cool, we're live. So, uh, so it is your internet birthday, huh, DT? It's my internet birthday. Yay! I think I am. Well, I'm in my fifties, I think, or wait, sixties, uh -huh. I think. Oh. And that's and that's how I that's how you know that Facebook sells your information because I get all this retirement shit in the mail all the time. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So they know. So so they share my address, but I don't know how I don't know how they share it. But they my my I've got basically a fake profile, right? Mm -hmm. But it it Facebook shares the information of my birthday and stuff because I get all this old man stuff all kinds of like um arp or something yeah everything join join arp and and uh oh somebody's gonna be in town for uh for reverse mortgages and you know all the kinds <laughs> of stuff so is is uh matt baldoni with the bg's gonna be there or the simon and garfunkel band yeah i get i get that stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i set up mine um <clears throat> january 1st 1947 and every New Year's Day, like, oh, hey, happy birthday. Oh, hey, happy. It's like, it's not my birthday. It's not my birthday. It's not my birthday. And after a while, <laughs> I've just said, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm 70 odd years old right now. Right. right. Do I, do I sound 70? <laughs> well, they don't look at the year. They're just like, oh, man, I didn't, oh, hey, you know, New Year's Eve, baby. Huh? Well, that must, it's far enough away from Christmas. You don't have you get your own separate birthday. I'm like, yep. It's right. And then I get my real birthday too. So the cookies on Facebook, it'll show ads and there'll be like a t-shirt that says born in 57 and you know, 57 strong or whatever. Cause that's the year that I use for, for my fake birthday is 1957. So, mm. <laughs> so yeah, what would that make me? That makes me, what is that? Uh, 61? 61, 62 or something. Yeah. Nearing retirement, so uh, yeah, I need I need all that retirement info. Yeah, well, do they uh, do they ever give you like uh, in this year some kind of like uh, mural or motif? They they like, hey, Chubby Checkers and the Fat Boys had a number one single the year where you were born. Are you get any of that or no? No, none of that from Facebook. They just want to sell you shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you get the fifty-seven strong, born in nineteen fifty-seven. Well, what was kind of established really nineteen fifty-seven, whatever. Well, it was really scary is, you know, I'm out here motorcycling about hanging out with the wonderful TJ Martineau. We're at his uh, command center. Uh, not really. We're at his at his church, but that's a different story because the church has Internet. Uh, he he so, really is doing the minimalist Jack London call of the wild Henry David Thoreau kind of remove himself from from the plugged in. But then he's like, oh, yeah, if we want to use Internet, we got to go to church. I'm like, OK. The TJ's um, image on on the it looks like you're contemplating something very profound, and then my image, I just look confused. <laughs> hey, dude, dude, you got Captain Ron. Like, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen out there. <laughs> what? Oh, that the the image you're using is Captain Ron from the movie. Right, right. So, yeah. so his famous saying was, "Hey, boss, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen out there." Well, I pretend that's uh, Snake Plissken. That's I. That's like Snake Plissken. Oh, confused. Well, dude, he's got the Rastafarian hat on on the back. <laughs> I know. Well, wait. I know. I've seen Captain Ron. I, I've seen. <laughs> oh, okay, I was about to say. I was like, dude, how could you possibly have that photo as your your alias and then not know who Captain Ron is? So, yeah, I saw it once or twice. Was so, seeing Snake Plissken a lot more. Oh. Snake, but wait, did Captain Ron and Snake Plissken both have um, the eye patch? Yeah. 
Well, was Captain Ron even blind in one eye? Or was it just a gimmick in his case? It was no. a gimmick for Ron, right? Well, no, 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 no. He he did lose. Um, he had a glass eye. Oh, okay. So, I thought he switched it at one point. Well, movie. he switches it, and they think it's weird that he has an eye, and then they realize it's a glass eye, and they freak oh, out. Oh, okay. okay. Shark attack, Schwab. <laughs> See, TJ, here's let me let me explain what happens when you hang out with TJ. I thought I knew a lot of movies, but TJ will throw you quotes, and you look at him like, "Huh?" And he's like, "Don't you remember 1937, the James Cagney movie that no one alive today has seen?" And you're kind of like, "TJ, no one alive." Today has seen that movie. No, dude, we've, well, that, that discussion has only been with Casablanca. And you have lamented the exact same problems with trying to use some of those great lines in, in real life conversation. Well, yeah, that's Casablanca, but there's, and it's not even necessarily the old ones, but you get like the, what was the other one? It was a, an obscure 90s movie. You're like, it may, maybe it was a John Cusack movie. You said this oh, quote, you're looking at me. <laughs> better off dead two dollars i want my two dollars <laughs> i you know it's funny i did not use the two dollar line with him um i'm trying to think of uh of what line he was thinking of but it was some random some random movie that was popular in the 80s or something like that but yeah i, I saw I, it and it's and i was like but that was so long ago and i think i saw it once and then it was in the theater your knowledge of movie quotes is is uh unrivaled unrivaled there are like people that, that uh, try to communicate solely with Seinfeld quotes. I guess there are some people that try to have a complete conversation just quoting Seinfeld. So I, which is, which is there funny. are those it's, people. And I, I, this is where I've pro probably I started to tone down the number of movie quotes because there were people I knew. I never watched Seinfeld when I was just at all. Um, so they're all talking around the Christmas time about Festivus, and I have no yeah. idea what they're talking about. But it was this all this inside joke. And then I realized, well, maybe that's how people feel when I start bringing up obscure movies, which are, <laughs> which, which in my defense, I think they're a lot wittier stuff. Um, what's the other one? Oh, now the other people quote friends, which there's no defense of that, but that's a separate topic. Well, your, your, your quotes are fine. It's just that instead of your generation or maybe even RJ, you go like smack dab in the middle where like no one's seen that movie or if they did it was so long ago and then i'm like looking it up i'm like oh that's what he was saying oh that is funny <laughs> now that i'm at the gym uh, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm helping to educate the masses one person at a time thank you thank you it's very cheerful john Steele, you're on what's up Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, well, you start. You always start early, you know. You never, you never started right at four. You always got to start early. Well, let me. I'll explain why because I am a professional here. Um, you usually just get warmed up and get people on, but then once once conversation is good, I hit the record button. Which with you guys, it is. So it's like it's like yeah, yeah, we're fine. I hit the record button. Oh yeah, I mean, fair enough. Because if you got some really good stuff, you don't want to miss it and say, "Damn, we didn't have the we didn't have the record thing going on. The audience didn't get this one." Right. Um, no, I hear you, brother. So how's how's uh, how's everything going? How's everybody doing? I'm tired. I'm <laughs> uh, it's cold up here. I don't know if you knew this, but up in the mountains, it gets cold. I heard rumors <laughs> to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's, kind a, of, it's a it's a it's a blizzardy seventy five degrees. I mean. <laughs> You just you almost want to get your park out almost almost but um i tj you got to explain this to me how come there's snow like the 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 tops of the mountains here in the cascade do any of them break ten thousand? um i yeah uh mount rainier does yeah okay. that's that's um 
then there's also Mount Adams, and then there's a bunch of uh, mountains in the North Cascades, but those are all very technical climbs. The stuff that I do um, near the I-90 corridor and then in central Washington by where I live, these are all, uh, they're hard climbs. Like Mount um, Kashmir was a hard climb. It was like 5,000 feet, 6,000 feet of elevation gain, but it's just straightforward. It's a hike. Um, right. There's not a, You don't have to bring uh, climbing gear. Um, but yeah, the, the snow does stick around, but that's really depending on where they're positioned. If they're in the right spot, they'll never see the sun. So it's shadows. Well, Cause I was, I was trying to figure no, out it's 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 relative it's just elevation. elevation. Like, I, well, I'm just speaking about Mount Rainier cause I've hiked it. I didn't, I didn't summit. I didn't climb the top Mount Rainier. I don't think you can, uh, get to the summit unless you, you know, you're like a professional mountain climber. Um, but you can get about halfway up. Um, and the, I remember hiking it, um, and, and it was in August and, uh, you know, making snowballs and everything. Um, it was cool. Yeah, it was, um, it was really interesting. I was reading about a relative of mine. His grandfather was a, uh, scout master after world war one. Cause he wanted to toughen up the boys because even back then he thought they were a little soft. And one of the things he'd do is he'd take them on hikes up to, as far as they could go on Mount Rainier before they'd have to do any technical climbing. And he's taking 10 year old boys up on this hike, which, you know, an ordinary man tries to do nowadays is, is actually, uh, I, w I wouldn't necessarily call it impressive, but it's definitely out of the norm for most men's physical condition. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's at altitude and it's, it's just, it's a steep walk the whole way, you know? Um, but, and there's, there's several different, um, trails, uh, you know, just hiking trails on Mount right. Rainier, depending on which side you, you come from. I'm not an expert. I used to do a lot of this stuff in my twenties and, uh, you know, as I got older, I'm not, um, not as big on it, but it was really funny because, um, uh, w while you're hiking up, um, you'll meet all these guys coming down that had summited and they're all in their full gear, you know, all the regalia with the walking sticks and all the, the backpacks because you can't summit it in a day. Right. Uh, okay. it, it's uh, I think it's at least a two day climb, isn't it? Like you have to uh, unless you bring like my um, brother and hit my cousin, they'll bring skis. And now I don't know if they go to the very top, the summit, but they will uh, hike up the mountain with their skis on their backs and then ski down. So it's possible to do. I, it's possible to go farther with skis in a day than normal. I don't know if they ever actually summited the mountain. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I guess it depends which side you go up. You know, I'm not really into that whole subculture of climbers. And I know there's different, um, I don't know if ro roots the right word, but, um, ways to get to it, you know, uh, like even Everest, there's different ways to go up to it, you know? Right, right. And um, it's interesting you were talking about the subculture because I was just explaining to, to Cappy this morning about the um, climbing culture that's really popular in. Oh, yeah. Why, why don't you go deal with the reverend? Because we knew we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen <laughs> anyway. Uh, but no, John, tell me this. Explain to me. Why is there snow up on top of these mountains if very few of them are above 10,000 feet during June? Um. You know, exactly meteorologically, I can't I can't tell you off the top of my head, other than the fact that they regularly get snow on that level. Uh, you know, even like when it say it's raining in Seattle, when, you know, these these places in elevation are are constantly accumulating snow uh, through a very long snow season because, you know, it rains a lot here in the Pacific Northwest. And whenever it's raining in Seattle, it's snowing in the mountains. Like whenever they do the the weather forecast here, they'll say um, 
uh, they'll say 7,000 feet is, is, is the freezing point. So those like everything above 7,000 feet is getting snow when we're getting rain. So just my assumption is, and there's no science behind this, this is just anecdotal, is that they get so much of it that it doesn't have time to melt. So right. if we had a really long, long summer or a particularly scorching one, it would. It's just that they get so much snow that it just takes longer to to melt. You know, it's like a big ice block takes a longer time to melt than an ice cube, you know? Right. And that's what actually is, um, can get frustrating with the, the climbing here, hiking here, because you have to wait so long for the snow to melt because you can't do the hiking as opposed to, uh, near, near Seattle, there's mountains there that you can do where within, I'd say early spring, maybe, uh, February or March because the snow melts a lot sooner because they're not the same, uh, elevation gain. I got some stats. If you want them, I looked them up quick. Yeah, let's take a look. What do you got? How much snow and ice is on Mount Rainier? Over 35 square miles of permanent ice and snow cover Mount Rainier. Of all the glaciers in the contiguous U.S., Mount Rainier's Emmons Glacier has the largest surface area, 4.3 square miles. Carbon Glacier is the longest, 5.7 miles. Thickest, 700 feet, and has the lowest terminus elevation, 3,500 feet in the contiguous U.S. So there's glaciers up there, too. That's that's just amazing to me. Three thousand five hundred feet, and there's yeah. glacier. How, that's what threw me off. I'm sorry to interrupt. There. How, how thick did you say it was? It was how thick? Uh, the the thickest is seven hundred feet. Seven hundred feet thick. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Or as we wow. say in Minnesota, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm seven hundred feet thick. That's I mean, how many football fields is that? Um, seven. No. No, two and a uh, half, two and a third. Sorry, <laughs> uh, that's still really thick. <laughs> Damn! Wow. Well, that explains so that's why, why there's snow up there. Impressive. Wow. Okay. Cool. Hey, Aaron, right. have you ever done any real climbing, like with the full-on gear and that whole thing? Like, uh, uh, you know, with the, I know you're a huge hiker, but have you ever done like the real technical mountain climbing? I've done some, climbing. I've done rock climbing and cliff climbing. They got some uh, cliffs over on the St. Croix River, which is the border between Minnesota and Wisconsin, but nothing more than a hundred feet. And I was stupid and young. I was like 21 and I was doing it without gear. Mm. And then I got to the top and I look, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. And, uh, <laughs> that was like, that was kind of like your bucket list thing. All right. I did it. And that was stupid. No, like, no, it was, oh, it was even worse. It was to impress a girl, which I probably did impress, but it was a really dumb maneuver because I could, I could do it, but one slip up and all that. So, and the, the problem, the root, the, the main reason I don't do any like technical climbing uh, is the same reason I don't camp is you got to bring all your gear with it slows you down. And then it doesn't become fun anymore. Um, there's some people like, <laughs> let me let me tell you the funniest thing I've heard in my entire 43 years of life. Now, you guys better be sitting out because this is pretty funny. <laughs> so TJ and I are trying to figure out like what, what we can climb and get back down off the mountain on uh, before it gets dark or how much time and work in this and something that's going to fit into our schedule. And I'm like, well, we could do this or 2,000 feet elevation gain, maybe six miles round trip, you know, pretty short, but not, not light. And he says, well, you know, I, I know you're against this, but we could wake up early in the morning. And five minutes <laughs> later, I got up the floor from crying. I was laughing so hard and, and my stomach hurt. My stomach muscles were tense because I was laughing so hard at what he recommended. Um, but no, I, I can't. I like to enjoy my hikes. 
And if you're hauling in camping gear and uh, you got to bring your own toilet paper and you got to bring in food and a stove and then you have to bring it and ropes. I don't care what they're made out of. Ropes alone weigh a lot. And so do the, the metal uh, 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 hooks and all that. And then it's just like, OK, this isn't fun anymore. Uh, this is, you know, I, I like well, it becomes like a job at that point almost. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, I know this one gal uh, and she she and TJ, I'd love to take bets on these two. Uh, she did the Grand Tetons, of which there's three main ones. She did the tallest one in one day. And it was one of those deals, wake up at 2 a.m., out, out the door by 2.30. And boy, ain't that fun. Um, <laughs> and, and she's kind of mental. I mean, these they're, they're, you got to have the right mentality for it because um, it did not sound fun at all. You're, one, you're waking up when you're barely supposed to be awake. You did not get good sleep. I don't care what time you go to bed. You didn't get good rest. They hit the the trail at three thirty four. <clears throat> you got to use headlamps. You got to have gear. You're you hike up. It's cold. Then you got to climb, and you got to you're doing ice picks and everything like that. And she was explaining like you know, there's like three types of fun. There's fun that's fun while you're doing it. Um, fun that you're not having fun while you do it, but you look back at it. And it was fun or things that was fun while you were doing it, but it was miserable afterwards, like drinking. And she says, climbing these mountains are miserable while you're doing it. But then fun after you say you can look at it for the rest of your life and see you did it. You and know, that's a really insightful uh, little uh, saying there. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. You there know, is. Like yeah, you know, that, that's brilliant, though, because it's true. Like, yeah, you love it. Like, you know, when you're doing it, it was a great time. You know, it's oh, all this crazy stuff we did. And then, you know, the next day, of course, you pay for it. Or now that we're in our 40s, we're paying for it for two days sometimes. Um, girl pregnant, you pay for 18 years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's that's 26 true. now, isn't it? Isn't it 26? They can stay on your Oh, insurance. yeah, yeah, 26 years. Well, not 18 anymore. Sorry, I was born in 1947. So. No, no, Aaron, it's worse now because now you got the kids suing you because you want to kick them out of the basement, you know? Right, right. So he's <laughs> 30, right? Say, yeah. Aaron, I was going to ask you, what would you get up early for? Is that a really short list? Um, we could all take a bathroom break for a good five. <laughs> yeah, it's a very short list. I'd have to really think about it. Um. <laughs> Not golf. You're into golf now. You wouldn't. No, get up early I, for I golf. would not wake up early for golf. I wouldn't make wake up early for. I love hiking. Don't get me wrong. I love climbing mountains. I love it. It's just I hate. You know, it goes back to when I was in college. I had to wake up with two hours sleep, three hours sleep, and go work twenty hours. I hated it. Um, if like if there was an obscene amount of money that would get me up. Um, okay. if it was a. You yeah, that would do that would do hunt. it for me, man. Money. No fishing or hunting or anything, right? You don't fish or hunt? No, I mean I, I, I would like to hunt, but then my buddy Craig explained, like, oh yeah, you gotta wake up at four AM to get the yep. deer. I'm like, no, you don't. You just drive down the road, you'll hit one inevitably. <laughs> just bring the gun especially, on the way. Especially if, especially if you're driving in my area. Yeah, I saw some coming up here. Yeah, it was crazy. I was just driving back into uh, back home from town and these four deer just sprint right across the road. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, if you said Ava Mendez would, <laughs> you know, satisfy every sexual desire I ever had at, like, 5 a.m., okay, I get up for that, but I go right back to bed after it was done. Um, no, there's very little, very, you know, an emergency crisis, like someone's going to die if you don't get out of bed. Okay, 
Well, who is it? Is it DT? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> it's not that important. <laughs> Yeah, who is it? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't make a good uh, emergency doctor there. You'd be like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'd be depending. Oh, they? I don't know. They're not worth it. I'm not you know what? Asshole consulting emergencies. Maybe maybe you could charge more money early in the morning. Oh, I have. Not necessarily early okay. in the morning, but people like, I, you know, I got a job offer. I need to get back to them in 48 hours. Can you yeah. help? And um, if I get the email in time, I will, but I'll charge extra. Although, God darn it, it. Man, did I get angry. Um, so I don't know if you guys knew this. When you ride a motorcycle, you can't answer emails. <laughs> it's it's shocking, but you can't just – you have to pull over, and you have to break out your laptop. You have to unpack it. In the end. And I was – what did I do? I went from Vegas to Reno to Boise to Seattle, essentially. Three days hard riding, about 500, a little bit shy of 500 miles each day. And I finally get time to fire up the laptop, pull up and going in. And people, one guy was cursing and swearing at me because I didn't get back to him in two days on asshole consulting. And and then also other people like, hey, are you, are you all right? Where are you, are you going to get back to me? Jeez, where? And I'm kind of like, and these people knew. They knew I'm riding on a motorcycle. And I had to like, the one guy on asshole consulting I basically said, do you want a refund or do you want to get your panties out of a bundle and you want me to do your response? Because um, I don't tolerate that in my office. But even people who knew I was on a bike, I, I'm really like, I'm looking at them like, what the hell is wrong with you? What, what do you understand? So, um, but give yeah. Give a break. Uh, he's Johnny on the spot almost all the time. He's always, he's always on time. Yeah. I always no. do get back to people. A little bit of a delay. Give them a, give them a break, man. Right. And it was the weekend, too. That's the other thing. It's like I'm not this 24-7 machine that's at your beck and call. And if you want me to be, I'll I'll do it. But it's going to cost you not an arm and a leg, but it's going to cost you you know an extra 20 bucks. But, um, yeah, if I had to wake up and do a Skype session in the morning, oh, that would be, yeah, that would huh. be. Well, and here's I'd, I'd say it'd be about $100 to wake up early. Um, cause I, if I use flights, like when I fly back from Minneapolis to Vegas or vice versa, um, you could catch that red eye flight uh -huh. and you could save yourself a hundred bucks. I'm like, no, no, I will pay the extra hundred bucks so I can wake up at 10 AM and get to the, catch my flight at two or whatever. Yeah. I, jet lag can be a bitch. I remember I want, I flew, uh, from Seattle to, uh, Heathrow and it was but we didn't it wasn't a direct flight like i flew from seattle to new york and then from new york to heathrow so i i don't know how many time zones that is but when i got it took me like days to get my my clock set back again um because it was just like so many time zones i was so out of it um that was a real bitch um, because it was a it was a frequent flyer trip, so I had to I had to take uh, American Airlines so because they don't have a direct flight because there are direct flights from Seattle to Heathrow, but they kind of go over the uh, you know over the globe you know the Arctic the Arctic yeah mm -hmm. sorry and um, you know that's quicker but doing this tr you know transcontinental and then trans uh, uh, Atlantic flight was just like oh my god it was I was so out of it when I got there it was just you know. And I only had two days in in London, and then I was on my way to to uh, Dublin, and that was that was a real pitch, I got to tell you. I think well, it's about know. a day, an hour. So if you're if 
uh, for every time zone, you need about a day to get used to it. So, because I lived overseas for a while, and it, yeah, it took me uh, a week or so to get on their time fully. So I, I remember coming back from. I was okay flying out to Europe, but coming back, I got it was at least a week and a half. Um, I'd rather have been hung over. It just it just messes with you. It yeah, just, it, it, it's a weird thing. It it really did mess with me. Coming back wasn't as bad because I really I my sleep I never got really the good restful sleep for some. I think that's part of it is your sleep is not the real deep sleep. Uh, but after coming back, and it was a wild time that I did there. I did uh, I did you know too much drinking while I was there because well one you're in fucking Dublin but uh, you're oh, not just Dublin Ireland so of course you're gonna be drinking and it was a wedding. Uh, so, you know, all those festivities going on and everything. Um, and, uh, just, you know, I was, I was there just for leisure. There was no business, everything. So I was going out and hitting all the, the spots and whatnot, but I was lucky. I was able to, I pretty much slept on coming back, slept on both. Right. I was so tired. I actually, I met a girl that my last night there and she stayed at the hotel. We were up all night at my hotel and it was i was so disgusting i didn't even get a chance to shower because i had my flight was like really early i had to catch like a puddle jumper from dublin to heathrow and i i got that i, I got on that flight and i had like a, an hour wait for the the flight from london back to new york and i actually fell asleep with my boarding ticket in my hand right at the gate and this luckily this uh gate agent lady says excuse me sir sir is, is this your flight it's about to take off is this your and i just like ran down the jetway like just made it like with i mean if i was 30 seconds later i would have missed my flight and i pretty much fell asleep the whole way because i just you know so i did adjust a lot better coming back it was kind of the opposite of what you said where you had it worse coming back i had it worse when i was going i found the strategic use of booze will help um if you if you can get hammered on the plane back so that you're falling asleep and that you land and you wake up and it's like morning, you're like, okay, I did it pretty good, although I may be paying for it later on. But what I don't get is these people who can do the red eyes. Uh, the GF will fly out of Vegas at midnight, land in Minneapolis, 5 a.m. Minneapolis time, and go straight to work. Oh. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how do you do it? Because <laughs> she's no spring chicken anymore. I'm like, what? How? And, and she's like, well, do you want to come? I'm like, no, I don't want to come with. No, I, <laughs> I would rather ride the damn bike back than, than do a red-eye flight at 11.55 p.m. That's how they get you. Say, hey, it's not really midnight. It's 11.59. Yeah, 11.59. Yeah, yeah right. you know, okay, well, then it's okay now. It was five minutes later. Hell no. But um yeah, and, and and you know, God bless her. She saves a lot of money, but no, I'm willing to pay that extra. You shop around. What is it? No more than 70, 80 bucks, and you can you can get back and just. But no, I. That's one few of the luxury, non-minimalist things I will afford myself is a, a flight where I don't have to wake up early or go in late because uh, it's oh, life is too short for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just too. It's asking just too much. We got okay. We got some people in the chat, by the way. Uh, oh, we do. What do we got? Tell me. Tell uh, me let me see here. here. Uh, okay. Uh, Thanks for covering that. To by the time, way, to be on time uh, is to be late. To be late is stupid. Um. Uh. Carl. Uh. Carl Hines says, "Where's Ann? Yeah. Where is Ann? Ann. Ann is going to come on separate shows. I'm. I'm mixing everything up. As you know, we're in the embryonic and experimental stages, and so we have way too many cooks in the kitchen. 
And until and, and to be honest, until she gets her audio stuff figured out, I can't have I can't have this happening all the time. And I love her. That's why I tell her the truth. It's kind of like because I love having Ann on because she provides a female viewpoint and an incredibly sharp wit. But I can't I can't have that happening all the time. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. One time it was a few years ago. I don't know if it was that long ago, but one time she was on. I was on a stream with her on the Beckloff channel and. Uh, she started like chopping vegetables. Yeah, doing dishes. Yeah, and and like Beckloff just lost it. Like he just <laughs> he got so pissed off. He just like you know and he's not the kind of guy to do that, you know. But he just he got so angry about it. He's like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> well, no, this is. I mean, look, it's it's one thing where it's like, oh, funny, haha. We all get together and we live stream and do that. But it's also no, if you want to put together a good show, because I I'm a huge consumer of podcasts, and if there is. Uh, a distracting noise or the audio quality isn't good. And my, my audio quality isn't perfect because I'm, I'm mobile right now. Uh, but this is why I invest good money into my recording studio, why I invest good money into good microphones. Um, because if you want people to come back, yeah, and I can understand Chris. Chris is, you know, Chris doesn't have any other regular job. The longest employer he's had has been YouTube. Um, and, you know, <laughs> if he's going to make a, a serious go at it, if anyone's going to make a serious go at it, I mean, DT, you got a heck of a nice setup down there. You got two separate mics. You got a, a Windows 10 machine that constantly breaks down and consumes yeah, all the. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you put the resources and energy into it. Yeah, I, I think it, uh, if you're going to do it, you should do it right. I think that's uh, that's wise. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I, so, someone actually wrote Anne, Anne and her drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> We got a couple of guys here. Oh, there's people giving shout outs where they're from. Uh, uh, Fernando Covet says hello from Houston. Uh, v Speaks says hello from Ireland. Hey, what's up, yeah, man? There we go. Hello, Mick. Uh, we got Mick Milk says hello from England. Uh, John uh, John Turnin, uh, also from Ireland. All right. All right. Uh, all the green bloods are here. Uh, Wayward Hero, uh, final play this game, Fort Worth. I'm not sure what that means. But anyway. There's a, game yeah. There's a game named after the town of Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas. No, I, I, everybody's saying what where they're from. So oh. he's saying, or he or she is saying, fine. I'll oh, play. oh, I get, oh, I get, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, wait, wait. That, that was that was my part. Yeah, he goes. He's from Fort Worth, uh, Steel City. I don't know where that is. Where is Steel City? Isn't that Pittsburgh? Oh, okay. Steelers, Steel City, yeah, I imagine. I used to be, when I was in a sports bowl, I was a huge Steeler fan, going all the way back, way back in the day when Terry Bradshaw was quarterback. That's how old I am, when I was eight years old. Um, I'm, a, I'm a zombie fan, so all those zombie movies are from Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, okay. George wait, Romero, wait, wait, were they filmed in Pittsburgh or something? Yep, yeah, George Romero filmed a lot of his movies in Pittsburgh. Yep. Really? Yep. Huh. Let's was that like symbolic because like, you know, when all the steel mills closed down that, you know, everybody was just like kind of the walking dead because you know, the, the, what happened, you know, I mean that, that state got decimated uh, in the seventies and eighties, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I think well, that's just where he was from, but that is a good point. And it's kind of, it does have kind of its own look. It's landscape kind of has a look to it, I think. And um, so it were, it worked for the movies, obviously. So. I guess Pittsburgh has a pretty big renaissance, unlike Philadelphia, but Pittsburgh, people are, because I remember in the 80s, you know, all the steel mills had closed and, okay, coal mine closed and, oh, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, why would you go to Pennsylvania, period? And um, <clears throat> Philadelphia, 
is just a dive. That mm-hmm. and I will pick on everybody who lives on Northside Philadelphia for not picking up your own backyard. That's just shameful. And I always thought Pittsburgh was the same thing, and apparently not. Apparently, it's had like this IT um, computer uh, re- renaissance. And people are like, oh, yeah, Pittsburgh's really nice. Pittsburgh's got this. It's got that. And so one of these days I'm going to go visit, um, I don't know if you guys know him, but Ed Lattimore, he boxes out there. That's where he's from. And so I was like, oh, maybe I will check out Pittsburgh. Well, Philadelphia is more melanin-enriched than Pittsburgh is. So that has a little bit to do with it. The city uh, of brother, brotherly love, right? Isn't that Philadelphia? The city <laughs> of brotherly love? A lot of brothers. A lot of brothers there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that has something to do with it. Um, let's, uh, but what, remember there was this really, uh, I don't want to say funny because it was tragic in a way where there was some sort of hostage situation years ago in Pittsburgh. And uh, I, I don't know, I think they, they shot like a smoke grenade, like some sort of incendiary device. And it pretty much turned the, the whole, like half of the city of Pittsburgh into fucking Waco. Like they let it burn and it just, hmm. the, the fire got totally out of control. <laughs> and like, it was just what like. What year was this? Fun. I forget, man. It was it was many years ago. I think it was in the nineties. Um, but it was it was just like such major incompetence on the part of the uh the police and the the fire department. I mean I mean basically it's a freak show because it, it it's such a like whenever you get a city that is so entrenched in one part, like you know, uh, totally a democratic city, for example, mm-hmm. um, and there's no Republicans that even really run anymore the level of corruption just spirals out of control because there's no other party watching what the other party is doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Kind of like the same thing like with Detroit. Like, wasn't that the mayor, uh, was named Kirk Patrick, where he was actually in prison and he was still mayor? Um, was that D.C., Marion Barry? Oh, Marion Barry, D.C., same thing. These places that all, like, the, like the Democratic Party is so entrenched that they're, that they can get away with anything because they don't have anyone else looking at, looking over their shoulder to run it. So they're all on the same team. So they're rigging the system, right? So they're, right. you know, there's all this corruption. And eventually, like you might have like a state agency or a federal agency come in when they, you know, there's this huge fuck up mm-hmm. and, and, you know, to, to investigate this, like, you know, like the city council people, you know, giving uh, like no bid contracts to their, you know, I, I think it was in, I think this was in Detroit too, like no bid contracts to uh, this one councilman gave it to her husband, you know, at like five times what the, you know, the cost was. Uh, all, all that kind of stuff. And the city's going bankrupt. I mean, that's how a lot of this came out was Detroit, the, the state, uh, 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 Michigan actually took over the city of Detroit's finances because they said, look, you kids obviously don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it had. We're, the adults are in charge now. And when they were doing like the audits of the city, they realized that, you know, the, I mean, it was Detroit was so bad that they were actually losing money on parking tickets. For every parking ticket they wrote, like the administrative cost was like five dollars more than that that they received from the ticket. That sounds like Democrats. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm I'm not serious. I mean, that's like Democrats and liberalism is, you know, you know my feelings on that stuff, where it's literally a fucking poisonous cancer. Hmm. Um, It's like a contagious cancer, and it rots everything. And I mean, and you see, you can see the rot it's done to these cities, like like Philadelphia, which you've been to, you've driven through it, so you've really seen it. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. Well, and I won't lie to you guys, because uh, uh, I'd love to meet you there, John, and cause come down off the mountain. But I, I don't want to go into Seattle because the traffic is so bad. Now, this doesn't mean burned out buildings. Seattle is no North Philly. But even in the 20 years that I've on and off visited Seattle, um, I don't want to catch tuberculosis from you dirty freaking hipsters and hippies. I don't want to be stuck in traffic. I don't want to get mowed down. 
Um, Seattle itself is is I mean, it's no Detroit yet, but it's certainly no, on the, the precipice was, of going that direction. The homeless here has gotten so bad, Aaron, and it mm-hmm. and now now that the weather has gotten warmer, it's I, I can't stand it. Um, I was actually driving. Uh, driving back i was on aurora i don't know if you know that it's kind of like a service road you can do about 45 on it but it has like lights in certain places and stuff but you can still get a good clip going on it and uh but it's a main arterial like there's buses on that road and everything like that and i was driving and some homeless guy actually tried to get hit by my car actually walked out and it it was so like visually it looked like i hit him i mean i knew i didn't because i would have felt the bump but it was so close like it had to be within inches that I was able to avoid this guy. Um, and he just literally walked right out in traffic, like trying to get hit. I mean, it was it was a terrifying experience. I mean, not because I was worried about killing the guy, but it was a brand new car. I just bought it. It was only a month old. Uh, so, <laughs> well, and then, you know. and then the other thing is they'd sue you or something. Like, and that's it's just you don't you don't visit communist countries and you don't visit communist cities. There's just no reason the quality and caliber of people has gone down the toilet. Uh, their victim mentality down there, especially the bums. And uh, another thing I learned this work in security, John, you probably ran into this too, um, you know, just being in New York or going dealing with bums in general, you can contract all sorts of diseases you don't want to get from those guys. You know, they spit in your face, it gets in your eye. Now you got whatever, tuberculosis, tetanus. Uh, um, hepatitis. Yeah, hepatitis, you know, and, and that, you know, I got to get my vaccines and all that. And uh, then you know, I'm on a motorcycle. What if some guy who's drunk walks out and you know wipes me out too? It's just an unnecessary risk to go to Seattle. And I don't care about your damn fish market. I don't care where the first Starbucks was. I don't care how nice Mercer Island is. It's like, no, I'm going to go down to Yakima. I'm cutting over to Tacoma, and then I'm dropping south over into – and Portland, same thing. I'm going to dodge Portland somehow. Oh, Portland is as is, is, is bad, if not worse. Right, right. I, you, know I what, just, you know what they call these bums now? This is I just saw this at work today on Drudge. They're called crusties. There's an ew. article out of Fox News. Voluntarily vagrant homeless youth, a crusty urban challenge. They call them uh crusty, what is the names? Crusty punks, crusties, gutter punks, crumb bums, and dirty kids. So it's all these millennials <laughs> that are voluntarily um homeless well wait what are they like groupies or something that follow bums around no no they're they're actually homeless that's the that's their lifestyle that they're choosing i suppose i guess that's the next phase of uh of uh what what, i'm I'm blanking on the name with hipsters right that hip being a hipster wasn't enough now you got to be a crusty or you get kicked out sleep outside or you get kicked out of your parents house by court order yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, you you will see a lot of this. It, this is worse in Portland. Those type of homeless are worse in Portland. We do have them in Seattle, but in Portland, it's really bad. It's all those white kids with dreadlocks. Yep, that's what they said in this article. Yep, and that's how you'll know. You see the white kids with the dreadlocks that smell, and you know they're just pretty much living out of a backpack. If if you know if that, and they're just I don't know what they do with themselves. Uh, you know, but they, they're doing drugs and, you know, panhandling. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of drugs. I mean, everything from pot, um, which is really out of control in Seattle. I mean, you know, look, if I, I'm not against making pot illegal and everything, but I don't like pot stores like within walking distance of where I live just because of the crowded attracts. It's, it's right. kind of like the same reason you don't want a fucking porno theater next to you. You know, it's just it just it just makes it look skeevy. And we had a pot shot open open here uh, 
two blocks from where I live. And I just, I just hate that because you see all these white Rastafarians hanging out outside all the time, you know? <laughs> well, weren't we now? I don't think this is like the what do you what you can call them crusties or whatever. But I remember coming to Seattle for the first time in 1998, and I went to Pioneer Square, and here's these Lucia. kids, and they're fed. They're not miss, missing out on anything, and they're hitting me up for money, and they're my age, and here I am. I'm 24. I own a piece of property already, and I'm like, get your ass back to Mercer Island. You guys are spoiled. You had every. Don't tell me you were poor or brought up in the ghetto. You came from at least a middle income household. And you're doing it because you think this is cool and hip. And so I, I don't think this is like a millennial thing. I mean, everyone thinks millennials came up with hipster dumb. Uh, it's apparently everyone forgot about the Gen X grunge phase. Apparently that right, missed yeah. the history books. I'm like, yeah, we, those are the people that did it. And they continued on. Now, now one thing to keep in mind, Cappy, is that um, the, the fact that these people are in Seattle, uh, there's no way to tell, but I would take a guess that a, most of them or, or a significant percentage of them are not from Seattle and were not there, I'd say, six years ago. I think a lot of these people were were sent over here by cities that didn't want to. They realized that there was another city that was going to clean up the mess that was going to spend money on homeless programs. So, and I I know this from transit guys that I talked to off the record, of course, who said that they the, the in other cities um, they would give the homeless people uh, fifty bucks and a bus ticket to Seattle, and of course they're going to take it. Oh, sweet. That saves that it sa it saves the exporting city so much yeah. money. What like California or like littler towns over in, in Washington uh, state? Well, I, I don't think they're even from Washington. I mean, there's that there was a, a recent attack on a woman um, at a car dealership in, in Seattle. Um, John might know some uh, have also heard about it. But the guy was from some southern state. He was and he moved here into the or he moved here. He had come here in 2016. So the, these people are coming here because the city is signaling if you want free stuff, if you want to shoot up heroin paid for by somebody else, we will give it to you. It, 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 the, the, the inability to connect um, the messages and incentives that you provide with the consequences. If you, if you want to get rid of the homeless population, send signals that if you are homeless and you come here, you're not going to be welcome and you're not going to have a very good time, um, like ban panhandling and all this other stuff. And but the problem is then it spills over to other cities in the region, mm -hmm. um, and then that's been a huge controversy in my hometown because they want to put in a they've been wanting to put in a men's uh, homeless men's shelter, um, <laughs> and the, and the culture in Bellevue is it, I, I don't think parts of it the culture even though there's been a lot of population changes I don't think that culture that suburban culture has really changed so the people are not really interested in that but again I think that most of the homeless people that you see in a city aren't natives. Um, I, there's obviously no way to tell and you can only, you'd have to literally track them all down. But, um, I, I mean, there, there was, there was problems. I mean, back in the eighties, they did a documentary on, um, Seattle homeless, but they were all young kids, a very different demographic. And they, they, all of them came from pretty bad homes. So a little bit different situation than what we got now. I think it's more, uh, people who are mentally ill have drug addictions. You know, you got your military veterans who are dealing with PTSD and stuff like that. So yeah. different problems, but again they're being sent over here by cities that don't want to have to deal with it and and aren't and and aren't able to tax the um the productive sec sector of society to pay for it did you see that there was good news out of seattle today that the city council uh is going to repeal that amazon tax <laughs> oh there they are i didn't know i didn't yeah, catch that's yeah. Yeah. I saw that someplace. I was trying to look it up here real quick because we were let talking about Seattle. Let TJ talk about it because he's on ground level on that one. 
Yeah, I actually um, covered it. All right, I watched the proceeding. Um, if you want to know what Seattle politics looks like, you got to watch that meeting. And I know for a lot of people of our our political views, it's um, you know, you'd probably want to do something else. But you need to people need to understand that this is the how far. I mean, they were the, the council members voted to repeal this, but beforehand there were uh, people who were getting up and accusing them of pushing the Trump agenda. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the Seattle City Council, which is in the in one of the most like the most progressive people in the most one of the most progressive cities in America um, politically, and voting to repeal a tax that was going to get um, defeated at the ballot box. Uh, it gets gets you gets what happens in in Seattle like that's that will get you being accused of being and it was seven um, to nine right was that what it was um, seven it, it, it was seven to two um, oh, yeah I'm at, I'm at yeah I'm at seven out of nine voted voted to repeal yeah seven out of nine yeah and the, look at that the, communist bitch was the one that didn't though what's her name that I was gonna it. say cunt but your bitch will suffice in this case <laughs> yeah so did not um, she obviously voted uh, to keep the tax. Well, that's the thing here. I mean, the, the Seattleites are, I mean, these people are left of fucking Lenin. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're out of it. I mean, they're, they're completely nuts. Um, and it, it's very difficult and they're loud too. That's the problem. Like, you know, oh, there's they, a shut, they shut down the meeting. I mean, it got so bad that Sawant got up during the meeting when they were trying to take a vote and said, you need to like, this is Sawant saying this. She said, you need to stop yelling. We can't, I can't vote. Like they couldn't, they couldn't do the roll call for the vote because the people were being so loud, and um, I, yeah, it's again people, people who are not from Seattle. If you want to get an idea of what the politics, I mean, it really was a scene of anarcho tyranny where you had a crowd just screaming so loudly that the council just sat there and didn't know what to do. Because and they, how old was the ordinance or law? Wasn't it only like two months old? Yeah, um, it yeah. was a it was a month old. The okay. ordinance to repeal it was introduced yesterday, right? Um, and so, I, I mean, you, we can speculate about why they actually decided to do it. I think the, well, I know why they decided. Jeff Bezos said that I'm moving. Did he say that? Uh, no, he didn't say that. Well, publicly. he's already, he's already moved. Oh, yeah. We I just know what they said publicly. They said um, they did what they did is they crunched the numbers and knew that they were going to lose um, in November, and so. It was just a not lose. It was a losing battle, um, and they were trying to cut their losses. Didn't they get a petition put together too, like the small yeah. businesses? Yeah, got you a petition need, put together. You need, yeah. you need like seventeen thousand to nineteen thousand um, signatures, and they got oh, I think forty five thousand or almost fifty thousand. And then that would put it on the ballot to yeah, repeal would, it. That would put it on the ballot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, do they so, have? Who, is there any? they're worried about losing their office like to who some other socialist professor or or never worked a day in his life and some kind of trust fund i mean who who's going to dethrone them and are they going to vote anything differently this time well they're probably you know if you do push things a little too far you know not in seattle like you're not going to get a fucking republican but you're going to get some other democrat that's going to be like yeah i'm all about you know progressivism and things like that but look i'm not a fucking commie you know I, yeah that's i mean that's what really i think also happened with the head tax you had um people who who are on the left who are democrats who started like you had the the head of the king county executive who came out and said he was opposed to it you had all these other uh, lawmakers saying it and i think that they 
are they're seeing where this is going to go and they're also very concerned about the uh, business pr image of seattle because um, whether people like it or not it, it is the economic engine of the state and so if somebody does something to screw up uh, the business climate there then the state revenue is going to go down and the state revenue has grown like incredibly high since um, 2012 or 2010. I think it's gone, it's going to have gone up by like $20 billion. Um, well, what's the base? Uh, construction is no, no, really no, 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 no. I mean, what, it went up 20 billion, 20 billion from what? 80 billion? Oh, um, it was around 19, 20 billion. It's like double. It, it's ba- it it's doubled ba- in six wow. years. Uh, yeah. It, it's well, yeah, but, that, but you have to take into consideration, Aaron, there was this huge downturn. Um, that's true. That's true. So yeah. there was a downturn from like it hit us later. Like the, the, the uh, real estate crash hit us at least a year later than it did the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. That and, was. And do, do you remember that everybody was saying, "Oh, Seattle's immune to the uh, you know the real estate crash." And I, I mean, I, I after the crash happened in mid two thousand because it didn't happen until uh, hit here until two th- mid two thousand seven, where it had hit the rest of the country in like what early two thousand six or something. And I had a buddy of mine that actually bought the uh, condo above me, and the poor bastard paid in 2007. He paid five hundred twenty thousand dollars for it. Is it finally yeah. worth five twenty? Yeah, yeah, now it's well, now. See, it's um, it was funny you said that because it's the same observation I made when um, my I, I had a sibling who was renting an entire house. It was a two story, I think five bedroom house by himself for sixteen hundred dollars a month. That will not get you a little prison cell size studio apartment in in uh, at least in Bellevue, uh, maybe in Seattle, which they are now selling the prison cell style yeah, apartments for like seven hundred bucks. But yeah, the, the 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 real estate market didn't bottom out in our area until around two thousand and twelve or two thousand eleven, and then that's when it. So people who bought their houses and or condos in two thousand and seven, like a friend of mine, they have they've had to wait until now or the last couple of years to buy or to sell and then buy something else. But then they find another problem. They sell their place and then nothing around them is affordable. So they got to move out of the area if they want to do that. Yeah. There's a huge, there's a huge amount of people leaving Seattle because they simply can't afford it. It's yeah. They're all coming up. They're all coming over here. To but my Bellevue, ain't Bellevue. You're in Bellevue. Uh, no, I, I grew up in Bellevue and I was living there up until recently. And then I bought a house in the central part of the state. Oh yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Central, central Washington yeah. is, is, is reasonable, but yeah, but it's, it's changing like, fast. It's changing it's, fast. Yeah, like, but you know, Seattle does. Ha- I mean, the, the, Seattle. Is, if you're a single person, you know, I, I mean, you know, myself personally, I, I couldn't deal like living in the the middle of nowhere. You know, I like to I like to to have all the uh, amenities that go with living in a urban environment. I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's six of one, half dozen of the other. I have to deal with the fucking traffic and then the, the, the homeless and all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, like it, it's kind of like the situation with my condo, like it, it increased in value. I mean, I bought my place years ago. I was only 24. I was like you, Aaron, first time I bought property. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this place now, I bought it for 151 and now it's worth, I don't know, uh, my guess is pushing 600000 you know, I mean. Oh, so. yeah. That, real estate, that, that's, um, I, I never, I always banked on a more traditional IRA or something like that because I always like to keep real estate separate. But no, my real estate could probably easily pay for my retirement. And that's another reason I didn't sell. I was kicking around selling my place over in the Twin Cities. Um, But then, and DT could speak to this, uh, but uh, TJ brought it up like, okay, you could sell it, but where are you going to move to? Yeah, Uh, that's that's my challenge. And that's, that's the other thing is people, 
they're so short-sighted as they think, oh, my house went up in value, my house went up in value. It's like, okay, now you got to go buy the exact same house. And that's where inflation really kicks in. It's like, hey, your living right. expenses didn't go down. It's not the same as it was in 2001. It's it's tripled or it's at least doubled in the past decade. So, um, yeah, that that's uh, it, it's only if you pull off something like what TJ did or what I'm planning on doing, you sell the property in a high uh, hot market and then you go buy it in a cheaper market, you know, like a Tennessee or a Texas or a Dakotas or something or, or in the middle of nowhere, Washington state. <laughs> right. Right. That, that is the problem. And when people are talking about how much their house is worth, it's all a matter of, well, what's the media. This is one of the hardest problems with comparing um, different areas and, and different prices and, and how much people make in one area. If you're making, you know, $60,000 a year and you live in central Washington, you're doing, um, you're doing, you're doing pretty good. If you're making sixty thousand dollars in the King County area, you're like lower middle class. You're, you're starving, you're, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, you can go now. That's changing in Wenatchee as far as uh, residential is concerned. Like the because all the people leaving Seattle are coming over here. Um, but yeah, it, you if you want to sell your house, you got to look at well, how much is it going to cost to buy a new one? And if it's going to be the same amount, then you're really not it's 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 all a matter of where you're planning to put your wealth. And if you're putting your wealth into something that's of the same value, then you're not really making any money off of it. Um, you're just switching the location of your home. Right. It's not to you. And here's another thing. Houses don't pay dividends. There's no income generation. Matter of fact, they take maintenance. Uh, they, they cost. Well, you got property tax and you got, right. you know, like, in a, like a condo, you have homeowners dues. And yeah, yeah, you have all the utilities that go with it and stuff like that. But my, my point is your capital is not being employed if you own a house. Now, I have rental property, so it is being employed in that sense. But most people, they don't have rental property. And so that, that you know, they could break about their house. Like, I have a $700,000 house. It's like, yeah, but it's if you invested it in like a, a, a mutual fund, okay, that would pay you 2 to 3% of a dividend yield. And then you have income. But good for you. You have this piece of property that if you were to ever capitalize on it, you immediately have to reinvest it or move. And most people, uh, you know, I think every one of us except DT here, most of us can, you know, we can be a TJ. We just like, you know what, pulling up stakes, we're single. I don't know, I, I can be mobile. Uh, and even DT, you were thinking about being mobile there for a bit. I mean, you're, you're kicking around South yeah, Dakota. Still, I, think, I think that's the smart way to do, do it. I, and when I was living overseas, there were uh, – yeah, I lived in New Zealand for a while, and there were a lot of people from New Zealand that would go move their expat to England, and they'd go make all the money in England or make the higher wages in Australia. And then when it was time to come home, they'd have a nice little nest egg to, you know, be able to, to live in the cheaper country with the with the wages that they earned in, in the higher cost, higher cost areas. And I think that's what we've done here in the Twin Cities where I live is... I mean, we're making Twin Cities wages, but we basically stayed in our starter home and paid it off. And so now we're looking to, I would love to to move to a, a lower cost area. And that's where you leverage that, you know, you leverage the house that you've paid off. You've got a nice, nice little uh, 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 down payment there, or even just pay off the house entirely if you if you move to a lower cost area and, and you've saved up, you've made your big city wages and then are able to, you know, take that lower paying job in a lower cost area and, and, 
and uh, take advantage of the decisions that you made. But you guys were talking about, yeah, if you, if you, yeah, my house went up blah, blah percent. And then if you buy in the same area, it's really, it, it's, you're not it, gaining. It's a, it's a move point. And yeah. I, and that's a problem that I know with a lot of people who are looking to retire um, sometime in the future, but they're from the Seattle area. They, they their houses are worth uh, th that they bought for the same price. I bought my little, you know, small cottage house. Um, they bought a, a decent sized McMansion that's now worth a million dollars. The problem is they want to stay in the area. And so they're, they're either going to have to downsize right. significantly and buy, uh, buy that. I think the other problem that it presents for people in a market where the house housing prices are going up so much, um, you're almost thinking, do you, should I just wait this thing out? But the risk is if you wait too long, it, you know, opportunities pass or whatever, but, um, I'm almost wondering, uh, you know, how how long can this go on, and how much higher can it get uh, before some sort of like stability? I, it's not even about high prices. I think the problem with the market is when you have um, instability, where it's not like where it's going up or down, going up and down, but where it's constantly going up, and so people get aren't sure should I buy now or should I buy later. Um, well, I'm I looked into it and I've I've had my not necessarily opinion but <clears throat> viewpoint of the role that housing plays changed by the world reserve currency status of the United States and whereas at the first housing crash there were things that was going to make it crash uh you know people owning three houses flipping no rents corrupt real estate developers I mean that thing was going to go down no matter what now what I'm afraid of is lending standards have been tightened up Inventory is very tight. Uh, and what I'm afraid is, well, I'm not afraid. I know what's driving it now is we printed off all this damn money. It's got to go somewhere. It did not go into consumer goods like, you know, oil or milk or bread, but it sure the hell has gone into anything you borrow money for. So tuition has gone up. Housing prices has gone up. Um, stocks and bonds have gone up. And you say, well, wait, you don't borrow money. We don't, but corporations have borrowed trillions to do trillions of dollars worth of buybacks. And what I really fear um, for younger people, as much as I detest millennials and detest socialists and detest their entitled mentality, especially in cities, if millennials want to go and live there, if young people want to go and live there, it's almost, you're certainly not going to buy a property. You're certainly you're certainly priced out of home ownership now. If you're going to live in a in a even a moderately hot town, like even if you go to Milwaukee, we're not talking popular places like Denver, Seattle, L.A., New York, where everybody wants to go and live the sex of the city lifestyle. If you just want to go to the main town, you are likely not going to be able to buy property there, just like you never could buy property in New York or L.A. when we were kids. Um, but even rent now because housing prices have gone up so yeah. much to rent has as if you didn't screw over the millennials enough with charging them inflated prices for tuition now we're going to just stab them for rent uh because that's how it's and i don't know if it's happening in seattle and, and you guys could tell me but certainly in the twin cities and certainly in las vegas and certainly in denver they're not building regular apartments anymore you know what they're all building now luxury apartments and yeah. you can get a pool and there's a bar upstairs and there's a lounge and for a cheap two thousand dollars a month for a puny little studio space you hipster cool millennial recent college graduate can live here and and they just do it man they just go right to the city they suffer commutes 
they suffer homelessness, they suffer whatever else. Uh, but the biggest stab, I, I'm I'm kind of curious what's going to be the bigger money grab, the the tuition all these young people are paying for overpriced degrees or the rent they're going to pay for their 20s and their younger 30s in overinflated, overhyped up cities that really don't have all that much to offer. Well, Wasn't this just the boomers just squeezing everything out of this system? Not, until not, not, yes and no. It, yes, <laughs> it depends on how long the boomers held the property. But like right now, if I held my property back in Minneapolis proper, I could charge him an arm and a leg. Now I'd have to because taxes have gone up either. So you can't necessarily say the, the property owners are screwing over. They got to cover their costs. But the new developers coming and building all these luxury townhomes, all these luxury apartments, um, and, and you can't even say they're malicious or being greedy. That's what the market is paying. And so right. if you have all this money being flooded in, it costs that much to buy that property, costs this much to build this type of housing on top of it, you're going to have to charge X amount in rent uh, for people who want to live in that in, in that area. And these kids are going to pay. They don't have, like, this is, again, why I kind of respect TJ. Don't tell him I said that. I hope he didn't hear that. I respect TJ because he can work remotely, and he doesn't have to be in the hipster cool area. He's like, screw it, I'm out of here. And he's got himself a very nice man cabin up in the mountains. It's really cool. And it's very cool because he keeps the temperature at, like, 31 degrees, even though it's 72 <laughs> outside. Um, but he, he's willing to play the... Henry David Thoreau, uh, not necessarily. I, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking more of Dick Prennicky. Yeah, not Hermit, but but he's like, I don't need this anymore. And but for the vast majority of younger people, um, the inflated housing prices, which demand higher rents to cover their costs and maintenance and finance, is really going to screw them over. But again, uh, they told me I'm a racist, sexist, homophobe, old fuddy duddy who doesn't know anything. So screw them. Did you see the CPI? Up two point eight percent. Yep, two point eight above two. So, did you guys? Um, did any of you follow? Um, uh, Doug Casey. He's a kind of a crisis investor, and he's got a newsletter that I've subscribed to. And I got one of his recently re that was relevant to this because he what he was doing is he was looking at the nineteen seventies and he's comparing the median house price and then say a a, a school teacher's salary. And he, what he found is that. The, a teacher's salary could pay for half of the total cost of a house. Right. And so he was saying, um, but then you look at the interest rates. So, you know, people nowadays say, well, the interest rates are so low um, for housing and, and mortgages and, and stuff like that. But then you've got to say, okay, but what, how much did things cost compared to how much people were making? The, the, the reason that they had high interest rates back then um, is because you know, they were obviously not going to just throw out, uh, let anybody take out loans. But I think people had the ability to pay for stuff in, a, in especially for housing, um, that is not the same as today. There's no way, unless you're uh, one of those pl in the right area and you're making a killing um, as a teacher, and, and who, there are some places like that. But the average one, uh, they're barely going to be able to afford rent. They're going to be working with whoever they're living with and, and trying to afford stuff. Um, so that... It was interesting, Aaron, you were talking about the world reserve currency uh, situation with the U.S., and that is totally what's going on. There is no way Germany, – Germany tried doing the same thing during the Weimar Republic when they did the hyperinflation. And the other problem was they couldn't export their inflation like we've done. We've taken right. all that money that we've printed up and we've shipped it to some other countries. Where that can get really ugly is if China and Russia and any other countries decide to go with some other alternative currency – 
and they start now i i think we're kind of in a weird uh, mutually assured destruction because china also needs us to buy their stuff um and if we stop if our economy goes down we stop buying and if we stop buying they stop building and manufacturing so um it'd be interesting to see how that plays out but it seems like they're making long smarter long-term plans obviously than we are well that's uh, what i like one of the things i like about trump i mean forget about you know the immigration yeah. and all these other things people talking about but i like the way he's renegotiating all these trade deals because basically you know the united states was you know selling out the, the, all the politicians that were making these uh, trade deals with foreign countries like canada and mexico and china and the eu um basically we're just giving it away you know and you know basically fucking over the uh, the uh, american worker that that's what really actually frustrates me so much about the whole free trade debate and it that's been a, a big thing within the libertarian party um the discussion over free trade and then there's people who, who favor protectionism and the problem is is that their people's concept of free trade is they they a lot of people think of free trade agreements like nafta or tpp and my whole thing is if one country's if the the trade agreement or trade deal has one country opening up its markets to another country's goods but that's not reciprocated that's not free trade that's a it's a uh, it benefits it's like putting weights on one person's legs during a foot race and then saying that that's you know the, a fair way to ha judge who's faster than who yeah it's called affirmative action but in international yeah. trade. <laughs> <laughs> well, right 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 we've we've opened up um in a lot of ways we've opened up over the years our markets to other countries to export stuff and they a lot of them haven't done the same and that's why these trade agreements are so big because it's like well for this country we're not going to have tariffs this high. And then for other countries, we're not going to have tariffs at all. And then for those countries, they'll let some of our stuff in. But because Washington State, we export a lot of our stuff. So obviously, trade is a big deal for us. But then you start reading and talking to people about what these agreements actually look like. And it's almost like they're picking the winners and losers. It's just have a single piece of paper that says uh, trade will not be interfered with um, between these two countries. And that's it. But everybody there's, there's an interest. Thing uh, when they're speaking of trade, uh, there was an article today that that talked about here's a uh, the the number that Trump doesn't like to talk about when he's talking about our trade imbalance, and they threw in and th I don't think this is a good thing. This uh, it's sort of in my mind, it's kind of a point that backfires on these people that you know we're only looking at um, products, we're only looking at goods when we're looking at our trade imbalance, and then they said, well, when you look at how many companies we've sold to overseas people, all of a sudden we've got a trade, a quote trade surplus. And I'm like, so wait a minute. So the, the good news is, is we're selling all of our companies to people overseas. <laughs> I can understand if they are like startups, like, like a, an idea, a, a tech company or something that kind of built up from nothing. But I mean, do we really want to be selling all of our our profitable companies overseas to make up for the trade imbalance? I don't know. <laughs> it, it depends on what we're selling. Like when IBM sold its computer division to China, Lenovo, um, I'm not too worried about it because this, this talks about what kind of economy or more specifically, what kind of jobs do you want to have? As, as much as I lament and rue ru the loss of say like steel jobs and all that, which I think we should get back if we had truly fair trade. <clears throat> um, you got to realize like, okay, do you want to work in a steel plant? Or do you want to sit in an air-conditioned office programming code? Right. Uh, do you do you want to be soldering computer circuit boards for, for Lenovo computers? Or do you want to have Chang do it while you go? And and it's almost a direct because we're getting to this point in the economy. I won't I won't bore people with the details where 
we have so much wealth and we have the world's reserve currency that we can make jobs for precious little girls with their masters in social work to go and make believe that they actually have a career and a profession. Right. Um, we're starting to enter a bizarro world, but uh, don't, unless the government forces you to sell it, I have faith in private companies not to uh, undersell or give away assets, productive assets in the United States in the form of companies uh, unless they want to get rid of it or they had better use for their capital. And so I'm not, I'm not terribly worried about, uh, about and it's, that. It's not, it's not like we're selling our, our um, crown jewels to China in some kind of trade deal. It's usually our lesser profitable divisions. We have more profitable uh, ventures to go on. And when you look at it, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever visited China. Glorious Carl did, Matt, Matt Baldoni did. And it's it's polluted. Yeah, they're growing by leaps and bounds. And it's better than communism. They are improving. But there's a cost to having a purely industrialized nation that is profitable, but low profit margins. And you got to go based off of volume, whereas high you know, pharmaceuticals, software, all that other stuff, the, the majority of it doesn't even have pollution. It's just ideas and you know, figuring out chemistry or formula or, or biology. Um, those are much more profitable have much better working conditions and uh, uh, create a lot more profits for us here. Uh, but I, I still would like to see a good steel industry. I'd like to see something for young men and boys and, and industrious women. I'd love to see nothing better than Gary into Indiana fire up its, its steel mills again and, and let's make some good cash. Don't you have to take into account the world's reserve currency and how, how much you know foreigners are buying our debts and, and yeah. basically giving us money by buying our debts. Shouldn't that factor into the whole trade imbalance thing? Because yeah, there we're buying their stuff with dollars that, that they're investing in basically. Well, and, and so I, it's, uh, I, I went that's into a huge advantage, right? Oh, it's huge. Oh, it's, it's insane. It's, it's resulting in what I want to call, I'll write a piece about this anyway, called the revenge of generation X. Uh, but the short version is um, until the concept of world reserve currency and the unlimited printing press came along and we realized we could print off money and not be the Weimar Republic. Uh, Gen X had every right to think, man, the economic collapse is coming. We keep spending more money on baby boomers, the baby boomers and their Medicare and Medicaid is going to tank it. Or it's going to break the camel's back. <clears throat> this is bad, but you want to talk about luck and undeserved. Like, let me, let me explain to you how bizarre world this is. Where did the housing crisis originate? What country? I got my theory. Oh, okay. oh country. Huh. Which country did the housing crisis originate in? See, I was going to... That's what kicked it off, but um, I, I don't Where, know. Take a guess, anybody. It's not that hard. Where did it start? The United States. The United States, right. Oh, right. Okay. yeah, I thought it was a trick question. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, not, it's not a trick question. I was thinking like, well, you didn't think it started in Iceland, did you? No, it started here in the United States, and then we spread it through our bonds and all that other stuff. So yes. a, a U.S.-originated crisis that we are responsible for, not only threw our economy into a still, tailspin, but we threw the whole world into a great recession. So at first, the value of the U.S. dollar went down, but it was such a panicked event. Guess what ended up happening? Guess where people started seeking yeah. or what people started seeking US, for safety? The U.S. dollar. I know. <laughs> it's yeah. like I just got herpes from my girlfriend. 
but damn, I want to get laid. I'm going to go sleep with her again. It's, it's, we caused the problem and it, the rest of the world is so screwed up. And that's the key thing right. to understand this. The rest of the world is more corrupt, um, less productive and uh, a more criminal than we are. And so all these countries that they're saying, all oh, the BRIC countries, you know, China, India, Russia, and Brazil, those countries are kleptocracies. Those countries, uh, they may be growing, but they are corrupt shitholes. And well, and the, uh, the, hang on, China let me finish. Let me finish. <clears throat> and whereas production is kind of important to have a world reserve currency, and the U.S. has that, having faith in a currency also requires you have faith in that government. And when you look at their corruption index, these countries, there's no country out there, no country out there that has one a significant amount of economic production to act as a resource or a. Uh, 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 cachet of value to give a currency value uh, and another country that is not as corrupt as a China, Russia, et cetera. So the United States, and this is where the revenge of Gen X comes in, we can print off as much money, not as much, but we can print off money to pay for all of our crap and the rest of the world will buy it. They will, because they're doing the exact same thing. They're printing off their money because they're, you know, like Japan, China, they, their currencies have their own value and cachet, their own economic production to back it up, not to the extent of the United States, but because of their corruption, that's the benefit of not having a corrupt economy is that people are going to trust us internationally and they'll buy our stuff with dollars. They'll buy our dollar denominated assets and they'll hold on to it so it doesn't circulate. So what's going to end up happening, and this is why I'm kind of somewhat optimistic, <clears throat> the revenge of Gen X is that we're going to get the exact same treatment, I think, is the boomers, we're going to collect Social Security. We're going to see Medicare and Medicaid. And if you look at the deficits we've been running, we've paid so, the, the least amount of tax given the amount of government spending because we've been running so much deficit. So we got all this government spending and we only paid for a fraction of it. Well, just Obama alone doubled it. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And so if you look now, this doesn't talk about sociological, psychological stuff, divorce, feminism, all that. I'm just talking finances. We will have paid the least amount in taxes for the most amount of consumption in any, any society, culture, generation. Do you think the they'll raise the uh, retirement age, though, for yeah, us? I think they they're they probably going to do that. Like, yeah. like Social Security can be saved simply by raising the retirement age a couple of years. For um, yeah. Now, the, the real problem is uh, uh, Medi uh, Medicaid or Medicaid. I always get those confused. Medi uh, Medicaid. Uh, and Medicare, those are pretty much insolvent. Yeah, they said by twenty twenty something, right? Didn't that just come out? It's going to be insolvent. Well, yeah, they just they just said it's it's closer to be. I mean, it's it's so much more is going out than going in, right. and medic the 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 price of uh, healthcare just. I don't know. Aaron might know what what's the inflation rate of healthcare. I mean, it's oh, not God. eight to ten percent depends on what you want to look at. Yeah, it, it's pretty extreme. Um, and we keep having this push now to uh, have a more and more socialist type, you know, if not outright, uh, outright socialist healthcare system. There's all these things that are pushing it that way. So, you know, that's a problem with with any sort of government program. Once it starts, it never goes away. 
You know what I mean? A lot of these things, like they're meant to be temporary and, you know, we're, they're still around, you know, and they're just still sucking the taxpayer dry, you know? That's why, that's why I think you guys need more heroin, free heroin for the druggies programs. <laughs> I think you need a free heroin program in Seattle. That'd be well, we, we have the, we have the needle places where they can come in and shoot up, um, which is insane, but, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, well, and I just wanted to touch on this homeless problem because I uh, I have a, a friend. I lost touch with him because you know, since he moved, he moved out of Seattle. But uh, he was a MSW Master of Social Work, and he worked with homeless people. And the the problem with homeless people, it's it's the reason it's so challenging is it's you know multi vector problem. They have uh, substance abuse issues, mental illness. They have uh, they usually have a zero support structure. So it's not like simply, let's say, you know, they're an alcoholic or drug addict, both, whatever, and then, you know, sending them to a rehab and, and cleaning them out because they have all these other issues. They don't have a support structure. They've lost, they, you know, they don't have a family or they're, you know, disowned by it or their family is, is so dysfunctional. It's not worth to be around. They don't have any, they don't have any healthy friendships or social relationships. They don't have any basic life skills. No, so it's too bad for them, I guess. But, but trying to work with these people is is very very difficult because you, it's not just addressing one aspect of them. They pretty much, you know, it's not just the uh, the, the drug abuse. It's not just the the fact that they you know have no life skills. It's it's, it's all these different problems you know uh, congealing. You know, and, here, I, I hate to say this, but it's true because I am an asshole. You know what that is? What survival of the fittest? Saying they should never have been born in the first place. That's that's really what it is. If they got that many problems and they require that many external sources from taxpayers and guidance counselors and this and that and housing, they, these people would not have survived in the olden days. That's what it's nature saying. You shouldn't be here. But we keep. Well, well, we well keep, I do believe, though, like alive. if you go back, like before we had this welfare state. Things like that would be addressed if you had a small town with like a church, for example. Mm -hmm. All right, well, mm -hmm. that could that could suffice. That that could deal with all the different issues. All right, we're going to dry you out. Okay, as far as your support structure, you have you have the, a church community that you're part of. Um, well, that's so you, that's why the uh, the whole thing about visiting people in prison, why Christianity requires that, is because prisons back then, if you didn't visit them, they would starve. That they depended. Prison was just a place. And it required people to come in and give them what they needed to survive. And so that's why, you know, Jesus talked about visiting people in prison. So nowadays Christians go to prison to go witness and all that kind of stuff. But it was a physical reality back then. Yeah. So back then, so Aaron, what I'm saying is when, when we had a more tribalistic uh, society, like, you know, smaller communities, or at least, you know, uh, where everybody was kind of invested in the well-being of other people to, you know, some degree, you know, they all kind of saw each other as, you know, members of our community. People weren't as atomized as they are now. Um, those kind of issues would all be addressed. They'd say, all right, this is so-and-so and he's got these issues and you'd see the pastor and stuff like that. And they would help and, you know, do what they could for him. And it would be taken care of like by charity. But now every, now you have to have, you know, all these, you know, government agencies and stuff like that. And in many ways they're enabling them like at the city council uh, meeting or, or there's the clip of it. I saw in the news. I don't watch the whole freaking thing because I'd shoot myself, but they had a, a former homeless woman that was saying, no, these people don't need more uh, homeless encampments. 
these people need, uh, you know, interventions. Don't enable their their uh, drug abuse and their destructive lifestyle. You need to intervene in them and you get them off because they're costing the city so much money in so many different ways. Because you look at the healthcare costs, like every time, I mean, any of these like homeless shelters, I mean, the, the amount of, you look at the, just the ambulance data of how, you know, how many emergency services have to be brought to these places because these people, their bodies are dying because of the way they, they live and what they put in their bodies and, you know, whatever. So the, the, there's all that going on and who's going to, who foots the bill for that? So just economically speaking, it makes sense to just intervene in these people's lives and, um, you know, say, look, you got to get your shit together. And it's, some of these people are like schizophrenic. There's medications for that shit now, you know, and some, some basic life skills. Some of these people never had to fucking buy a, to a tube of toothpaste in their life. You know, I mean, just things like that. And if but if because it's done by the government, it's fucked up. But if it was done by, you know, a local community, in my opinion, it could work because it used to work before we had this welfare state. Well, I right. just wonder how many are, you know, what's the percentage now of people who are actually unable to take care of themselves? But that's different than people that, like we talked about earlier, the crusties, you know, people that choose to just be parasites, like we, like we hate on, we don't, we don't, we don't like those people here. And, and I just wonder, do we as a society now even let people hit rock bottom? Part of, you know, becoming a better person and deciding to take the bull by the horns and improve your life. As you know, people will talk about hitting rock bottom. And I just wonder if we don't allow that and you know, we don't, we're not allowing these crusties to hit rock bottom. Clearly, um, is that even, does that even happen anymore? Do people, oh man, I hit rock bottom. And you, and you think, well, no, actually you didn't because you well, actually well, had this safety net underneath you and you never did hit rock bottom. Well, let me speak to a point that's even worse than, than simply just a safety net. There is actually, there was a homeless shelter that they wanted to build literally right next to my building. I pretty much single-handedly stopped it from happening. Uh, and right. I tried everything. I, I went to the, I went, there was Catholic Community Services was the, was of Western Washington. Was, we're trying to build a homeless shelter right next to me here on Dexter Avenue. Now I tried to- the people involved in immigration? The Catholics, uh, Catholic uh, charities. I don't know, they're or a bunch of fucking commies. But yeah, anyway, yeah. they're they're. Um, I met with them. We had a meeting with them. I sat down. I was on. I was the president of the the, the condo board here, you know. And I met with them and I realized this was going to be devastating for you know the uh, not just my the the property values of of my condominium complex, but you know the surrounding area. And <clears throat> so you know we tried meeting with these people. They hadn't closed on the property yet. And because uh, other people had tried to develop that property and we were always were stopping it, you know, we same tying them up in court and stuff like that. So we're going to block our view, yada, yada. And um, so basically, you know, we tried to reason with these people said, look, you haven't closed on the property. We'd even be willing to, you know, any uh, earnest money that you put up, we'll even cover that. Just don't build here. And they basically told us, you know, it was a nice, they basically told us to go fuck ourselves. So. I said, all right, fine. You want to play hardball? I'll play hardball. I didn't say this to him, but so basically what it did was a Freedom of Inf Information Act. There's a, there's a city city version of it here. And I found out, so I did a tremendous amount of research. I literally turned it into a second job where I did all the research on how these things are funded. Because I said, there's no way they're getting this from the little basket they pass around at the Catholic Church because no one even goes there anymore in this town. It's the least religious city in the country. So I found out that they all get the, they get their money from the city, the county, and the state. And, and there's federal funding as well that's dis dispersed by the state. So I uh, filed a Freedom of Information request with the uh, Seattle, Seattle Department of 
planning and development, I think it's called, I forget now. And I got all the internal emails, everything like that. And I got everybody else that was applying and all the information and spreadsheets and everything like that of every single agency that was applying for these funds. And I broke it all down and I contacted every single agency and I told them, don't give it to this other program, not to the one here, because if you do, we're going to sue, we're going to do this. It's not going to get built. These, these other, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of speeding it up here, but I ended up stopping the program from getting built. Now they ended up going somewhere else and getting funding somewhere else. But the same charity group, Catholic Community Services Western Washington, back to the enabling thing, they actually have a wet house, we call it, where they have homeless people there, what they call chronic inebriates, a nice way of saying just drunks. Mm-hmm. And they actually put them up in a homeless shelter and give them booze. <laughs> Woohoo! Party. And now then they and them. then they wonder why everybody comes there. <laughs> Where is it? Like, I, mean, I, I could get a free shot of something. I go to drive down. <laughs> yeah, you stop in like yeah, you got a what, what you yeah, got a twelve year old scotch there, something yeah. kind of smoky and the um that, I'm not kidding. That re- literally exists. It's on literally. Uh, I live on uh, one side of uh, with the South Lake Union neighborhood. If people in Seattle would know that, but uh, it's on the other side of Lake Union, which is very beautiful, very picturesque, especially this time of year. It is actually beautiful. It is stunning. It's a beautiful place to you know to to jog and walk, and it, it just it's truly spectacular. Uh, oh, and they got away. It's literally on the other side of the fucking lake, and it's like you know. I mean, they're basically just giving these people booze. To but just, do, you, do you know why? Do you know why they're doing this and why they have needle programs and why they have heroin and, and, and why they enable this uh, entire class of people? It's cheaper. It's profitable. Right? This is, this is the, the formula or the variable we're missing from the formula. <clears throat> yes, in the olden days, you would allow people to hit rock bottom. You would not have enabled these people to be, you know, to be druggies, to be given booze, to have free lodging and health care. Uh, to the point that they're in their 40s, 50s, or even up to the point they die because they never never get off of it. Uh, because the church or whatever private charities or people, one, they actually cared about the people they were trying to help, saying, you need to get off this. And two, they also had self-respect. But it was truly a charity. Uh, it wasn't a Joel Olstein church running it. It was actual churches that were carrying out the Lord's work or adhering to their Christian code. Or people who are just, you know, trying to help out. When the government got involved, and this is more pronounced than anything else nowadays, especially what girls are majoring in, what are three generations of social work majors, sociology majors, psychology majors, government administrators, what are they supposed to do if there's not enough government programs? They'll go you, on the dole. <laughs> they'll go on the dole, but they're not going to go on the they, This is all this is is they are using these homeless people and the drug addicts or whatever else to have you to make money so that they have jobs when they get out of college with their worthless social work program degrees. That's all this is. And if you think about how truly evil this is of these and hypocritical of these leftists who we care so much about the poor eh, bullshit, they want a government check. They want a government job. They want a government pension. Instead of working hard like us, is they're working, producing something of real value, they will take these poor souls and they will enable them and keep them on the dope. They'll keep them on the booze. They'll give them housing and they'll use other people's money because they take a cut and they get their salaries paid for it. That's all this is. It's mere work avoidance for these people. 
They didn't want to major in accounting. They didn't want to major in engineering. They didn't want to become a tradesman. They didn't want to work in the logging fields. They didn't want to do jack all fucking shit. What they wanted was an easy government job that came after their easy little uh, uh, college degree while they're parting it up. The real reason you have homeless in Seattle is because government workers, a segment of them, I'm not talking the people that build the roads or, or cops or fire department, but the social programs, those employees want a job. And they will gladly make a person be addicted to heroin and coke and booze or whatever else and suffer mental illness as so long as they can make money off of that person. Here's it's, why it's, I said it was cheaper. I agree with everything you said there, Aaron. Uh, here's why I said why I initially said it was cheaper, and maybe mm-hmm. it's both, is that you'll catch leftists sometimes. If you have, I don't have any leftist friends anymore, but I used to, and you'll catch them in moments of honesty sometimes. And what when you talk about the welfare state and you talk about, you know, what, what we're talking about here of enabling people, they will they will uh, have a moment of honesty and what they really think of these people, and they'll say, well, if we don't pay them, they'll burn our cities down. Oh, I had a guy just like this cuck, this cuck on the swing dancing. Oh, I hate his guts so much. He said the exact same yeah. thing. He was like, well, I don't mind paying a little bit of tax as long as they don't, you know, invade my house or anything. I'm like, you pussy. You yeah, and it's, it's literally they view it when the, in their moments of honesty that when they're when they're truly being honest on how they view the situation it's we're paying these people off this is a you know this is a bribe this is extortion whatever you want to call it so that they don't burn our cities down and they don't riot that's what that's how they view it dangled it's dangled that's what they paid the vikings not to invade yeah there you go and guess what the vikings did they came back next year and they invaded again because, like, hey, you paid us again. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like at least Muslim tribute too, right? That's the whole reason why the Marines exist was the the tribute to the Muslims that needed to be paid to be able to sail yeah. through the Mediterranean Tri- and tribute the Chinese Genghis Khan. Every every dictator had yeah, tribute. Yeah, the they all did it. Right, but they never pretended that they were trying to do them a service or that they were doing it for some sort of higher purpose other than just their own. No, the Vikings didn't patronize uh, the people when they came to pay. They said, "Give us." They were very honest about it. They said, "Give us the gold, and we won't destroy your village and take off your, take away your women and all that stuff." Um, TJ, hold on. Let me interrupt. Are you saying the Vikings didn't have master's degree in Viking managerial studies? (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have a degree in rape and pillage studies. Well, they they were. Now that's a degree (laughs) worth getting. (laughs) What the final exams like? Oh god! Sorry, TJ. Go ahead. Go ahead. TJ. No, no, I was just saying, like, th- th- there's this almost th- there's a difference between somebody who's just an honest uh, criminal or an honest thief or somebody who just they don't pretend um, or carry on as though they're doing it for anything other than just stealing um, or taking stuff, as opposed to somebody who not only um, does that but then uh, insults your intelligence and and insists that you confirm. It's almost like somebody who who like a kidnapper who keeps telling the, the the person they're holding hostage i'm doing this to protect you it's for your own good and it, rather than just your your crazy loon who just wants to ho- keep someone hold up in your house well and talk, speaking of of kidnapping and holding hostages that's another reason why i i can't think i mean i hate communists don't get me wrong and i hate nazis don't get me wrong but man, I don't think I hate anything more than teachers because teachers pull that. They are such cowards. They always run and hide behind the kids, put a bullet and a gun to the kids that give us more money or the kid gets it. And then they act all sanctimonious and holier than, oh, oh, 
faces yeah. that I could break of teachers. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's the leadership for sure. Specifically, teacher union presidents. Yeah, these are the ones that always say, you know, when they when they're demanding a you know more raise and more bennies, they're always saying it's for the children. My ass, it's for the children. You don't give a fuck about the children. Yeah, the superintendents, the the polls. I mean, that's a racket right there. I mean, you you see how the principals move all around the country and all around the states and stuff like that, and just hop from one school district to another, and just and 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 the the wages get inflated. I, I can't remember. I mean, what's the Minneapolis uh, uh, school district principal or high school principal get? It's crazy how I, I'm sure it's six figures it or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I well, mean, I know the. Yeah, six figures isn't much now. I, I'm thinking like 180 a year, something maybe, like that. It's maybe, crazy. but I know I know the superintendents get these insane packages, 400,000 a year, and they don't even last a year or two years, and they get fired or they're about to get thrown out because they didn't discipline the black kids or whatever else. They um, usually get severance pay too, or get yeah, and they get severance, and then they go yeah. work in a nonprofit somewhere else. Oh yeah, it's it's a corrupt racket. Um, hold on one guy. Guys will be right back. Okay. John got a call from a hot chick. Okay. No, I, actually I didn't, I didn't answer. Uh, no, but I was going to say the, uh, the, um, fuck the, uh, unions, uh, teachers. Yeah. They, well, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the teachers, uh, the, 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 well, anything run by the government, the, the other example I was going to get, because we talking about teachers in the institution where the money is all going to really administrative costs and, you know, this, this bullshit created overhead. It's not actually going, uh, to, to the students directly. You know what I mean? There's, there's all these buffers in between and they're all taking their cut and right. this, that, and the other. But a lot of it goes to special ed too. That's a, it's like a mandate to mainline people. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of good in theory and it sounds moral, but the, the costs, I mean, yeah, you have to have one teacher per student, one teacher yeah. per student. And it just, yeah, it's really expensive. Well, it's really bad in Washington state regarding the teachers because it's actually in the Washington state constitution that they actually have to provide, uh, I forget actually how it's in there, but if you actually look at our state constitution, it, it uh, says, the right Oh, it's, it says that um, I've covered this issue for my job. Um, it says that you, they have to provide everybody with a basic education and has to be equitable. Um, and the problem yeah, is, is that basic education is, um, uh, can be, well, I mean, the, the, they passed a law defining basic education, but um, you got to wonder what the, the founding fathers of Washington State, when they wrote that, what their idea of a basic education was. Yeah, they right. didn't mean one teacher for every special needs child. That's that's insanity. Also, but there, what, there actually has, but there's been case law that the the state has been taken to court uh, trying because the, the state wanted to spend interestingly enough, the state wanted to spend more money on other other government programs, not not on education. And uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the the state representative or senator, whatever his name is. Uh, he was a real advocate for the homeless and everything, and he didn't like. He was trying to take money that was going to education and put it into all these you know drunk houses and you know needles for the heroin addicts and stuff like that and actually the state uh state was taken to court and uh lost and they said no you got to put more money in education wow and uh, but, but, but the point the point I was, the point i was trying to make earlier sorry about that but the, the, a buddy of mine worked in uh he he uh he used to do to make extra money he worked er shifts in different hospitals around the the greater seattle area 
And one of, one of the hospitals used to do ER shifts in was the VA. And he, he quit doing it because he said it's so inefficient. He goes, they get more money, you know, per you know, per employee working there, but none of it is going to healthcare. It's all, it's all going to this, this overhead, you know, mm -hmm. none of it's actually going to deal with the patients and the, and to the, to the doctors and stuff like that. It's all going for these, this, all this administrative bullshit. You know, what that and, kind of reminds me of is um, in, I was reading about world war two and how the frontline soldiers, you know, like easy company and band of brothers with 101st, they would always get the crappy cigarettes. They'd always get the crappy food. Their, their stuff would never show up on time. And the reason is because it, the stuff would you know be unloaded from the ships and immediately some guy gets his cut of the best stuff and then it passes along through the the chain and by the time it actually gets to the guys who are actually fighting they get the the bottom of the barrel like most of the stuff's been skimmed off um for for whatever reason but it's kind of the same thing with funding when they send money somewhere you got to ask yourself how much of that money's actually going to go towards what you claim it's going to go towards rather than overhead costs or administrative costs and it's pretty amazing when you look at some of the places, how much they actually spend or how little they spend on something that, I mean, we're putting aside whether they should even be spending that money at all, whether that should be left to the um, like private sector or if it's just not a good idea at all, regardless of who's doing it. But then you've got the inefficiency of it, like you were saying with the VA. But see, I, I, I hate to call it inefficiency. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to even advance people on the right to realize. This is conscience. This is, this yeah. is purpose. I don't it's just believe a part for, of it. Yep. Yeah. I don't believe for a second these girls majoring in the little social work programs give a damn about the poor or the kids. They know exactly what they're doing, and maybe it hasn't fully crystallized. Maybe what gets them into it is that they're lazy. But when they get there, they darn well know that they're there to make their money. They don't care about the special needs kids. They don't care about the children. And it's not that like, oh, they were naive and dumb and oh, they're women. And I'm, I can't, I don't mean to pick on women, but disproportionate, that's who is employed in these fields. Certainly are men in this field too. But by the time you're 30, you damn well know what side your bread is buttered on and you abuse these kids and these junkies and these homeless or whatever, you know, the blacks, the kids, the minorities, the whale, whatever it is. I mean, even, even, uh, uh, charities themselves if you look at their overhead like the susan g Komen foundation that yeah. their, their ceo i think makes six hundred thousand a year how dare you run a charity yeah. and pay yourself a salary of six hundred thousand a year um, right. it, it's so blatantly obvious these are money-making operations cowardly hiding behind noble charities or noble intentions um, and that's, and as TJ pointed out, it's one thing for an honest crook, you know, he's got to risk his life to, to put a knife up to you or a gun, or he had, he, you might have a gun. These people are just despicable hypocrites and cowards where they go and, and, and claim moral superiority. And that, that's just where, and so I'm trying to wake people up a little bit. No, this isn't, you know, you can even jump over the argument. Like, what's well, it? No, it's not for the show. No, no, no. It's a money making up. No, you don't care about yeah. the poor. It's all about you. Yeah. And that's where we got to get up in their ass. And, and, and get in their face. Yeah, I think they care, but they just care about themselves more. It's, right. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gradation of caring. You can care about all kinds of things and probably truly care about it. Like, you know, you, you want to do good in your job. You know, teachers, I mean, I, the teachers of my kids, they, they love the kids. I, and I can tell. I can tell. I, I think some of it, yeah, has it, to it is just the way that it is. They're going to care about themselves more as we all would. I think what happens is when you discover that you what you believed for your whole you know pivotal years growing up and being educated, um, what do you do when you discover that your education 
was worthless that you spent all this time and energy and money um, into something that didn't go anywhere or that's you know you've got to you, you confront it and you almost have to push it away and keep going forward or you have to make the very painful decision to um, make major life changes and as Cappy and I have been talking about this entire week most people do not want to make the change they don't yep. they don't want to do the hard work um, it can, and I'm not like trying to pretend like it's easy it's it's very difficult to um, reshape your your perception of reality so that's more accurate but it's it's something that you the, the mature adult does um, and it may not occur overnight but that's that's what separates um, people like I would say those who strive to be better um, in, in maybe not in a moral sense but just more mature um, emotionally and psychologically because they understand that in the long term it's better for them to do that rather than to continue doing what what they're doing and and block out what what oh we lost you tj hey you're breaking up a little bit you're making good points i can tell <laughs> it's it's the russians it's, <laughs> the, it's the russians tj are you there yeah i'm still there okay good because we're on the same wi-fi it's kind of like how did you fall off and i didn't I, it's probably the Russians. Uh, Putin is probably messing with us. That's, that seems to be the uh, the the go to answer now. You know. Oh, you know what I wanted to bring up. Speaking of you know uh, this whole leftist. Let, let me guess. This is going to come out of left field because it's, it's I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, it, it is. It is kind of left field. Robert <laughs> De Niro's fuck Trump. Oh uh, yeah. What about it? Well, you probably didn't even hear about it, did you, Aaron? No, you no. I, that's that why I'm asking anymore. John. John, what, yeah. tell, tell people about it. Okay, so basically, uh, the Tony Awards, you know, it's an award ceremony. It's 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 like the Academy Awards for Broadway, you know. And uh, I don't know if he was if I don't know if he was coming out to present. I just saw the clip. I didn't watch the fucking show. Uh, but he just came out, walks right up to the microphone, and goes, "Fuck Trump." And he goes, "It's not even let's get rid of Trump. It's fuck Trump." Now, now that's bad enough. But what's really scary is he got a fucking standing ovation. Yeah ovation from all these fucking champagne liberals in the audience. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe it. I mean, the level of, of I mean, <clears throat> this country, I mean, could you imagine if people talked that way about a fucking Obama? I mean, right. it would never happen. So th this whole idea of saying, well, it's both on the right and the left, bull fucking shit. You don't have primetime award shows doing it. And it wasn't even a political venue. Like it was, because I remember someone comparing it to like um, Clint Eastwood when he was talking to the empty chair at the Republican convention. I said, that was at a fucking Republican convention, a political right. event. This is a fucking award show for, you know, the best Broadway screenplay or whatever. And the, he just comes out there and goes, fuck Trump. The, this is, and I'm, Deadly. The left has a monopoly. They own it 100% on mental illness, on a nationwide level mental illness. Um, I'm, I'm sure we know that single mom who votes Democrat because she cares about children. She really does care about children. Um, but, well, TJ, weren't you, weren't you pointing this out that, you know, we're, we're kind of upset about what is this, Mindy Menage or whatever. She did some kind of speech at some kind of graduation ceremony. And you're saying that got you angry. But when you look at how people are frothing at the mouth over Trump every day, day in, day out that, you know, it's like, when do you unplug? When do you, that's yeah, all and, they got. They're mentally ill. And, and to be fair, I'm going to, uh, I don't want to say skewer, but I'm going to just criticize both, not both sides. But I, I kind of said the, the same thing. Well, one, when I was in high school and George, Bush, George W. Bush um, was president, but then also when Obama was president, there was just 
not a lot of people, but there were some people who were just fanatical, obsessed with um, these conspiracy, like Glenn Beck style conspiracies, and they just wouldn't shut up about it. Um, they would just hear his name and they'd be like you were saying frothing. But I mean, now it's like on steroids and energy drinks and like high octane cocaine fueled just every day. It's like the end of the world is here. And then they do it the same day. And it's, yeah, it's exhausting. It's exhausting when the, the, the rhetoric is so ramped up to apocalyptic, um, you know, levels. And this is, this is, this is rhetoric you hear in the middle of a war about the enemy. You don't hear that in a, in a country that is still um, domestically at peace with itself. Um, and so it's just like, guys, I, I don't obviously agree with everything he's doing. And there's some stuff that he does that, that bothers me, but it's the same thing with, I've just learned you, you look at what they do and you interpret it that way. Uh, like, do, do you like his policy or do you not like his policy? Do you like what he said? Or do you not like what he said? But people think, you know, what do I think of a, a politician? It's like, I what like, what are we talking about? Like what, what specific policy do you, do you want to discuss? I know that's kind of the, it's most people aren't really interested in that, but I also just can't, it's emotionally exhausting to, to follow it. And I, yeah, I, I spent the last, it, isn't that like the, you know, it's emotionally exhausting. I agree with you. The problem is it's almost impossible to get away from. Right, I mean, right, yeah. right. That's the problem. <laughs> I literally, um, last week I was working, I was on vacation, but I was really just doing remodeling work um, with my uncle on my house. I, we were working all day long and I did not check my internet, didn't do any social media stuff. And I felt very refreshed. And then I come back and check, you know, I'm back on social media. And it's just, yeah, you literally have to unplug um, from from social media. I was chatting about this with Cappy today about the dilemma, because on one hand, you you don't want to be exposed to that so much. It's like being exposed to radiation. Um, you got to go detox or whatever. But then at the same time, if you don't stay up to date on this stuff, you end up with one of those you end up one of those people who doesn't know what's going on and doesn't understand, you know, why, why you're in the cattle car. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking more, I'm thinking more of like the, 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 you know, it, it for people who follow Dal rocks, um, blog, one of the things he talks about is just how, uh, guy, traditional conservatives or social conservatives who take young men to task for not, you know, manning up and getting married, whatever, how they just completely checked out of the changes that have occurred in society within, I mean, we could go back a couple decades, but we're just talking like the last 20 years, these, these massive um, upheaval in the dating market uh, alone, because they don't keep up to, they don't, they, they are not following what's going on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're in the, at the middle of a political and social and cultural situation where every single day has a new change, like a new, and we're not talking small changes. These are huge changes in our uh, the the decreed morality um, set forth by our our wise overlords, um, whether they're in Los Angeles or in New York City or in D.C. But it's like if you don't keep up, you have no idea what the latest thing that you're not not that I care what you're not allowed to say, but it's stuff that um, uh, it's just to be aware. Like so, you can understand why people behave the way they do. Yeah. People well, but, have but, theories but, about that and that it's um, related to time scales that that. We measure time by nanoseconds. Now, it used to be, you know, you just go on the back the last 100 years and how the measurement of ch time has changed. And now you've got you've got um, computers, the, the day trading computers that they, they fight for the closest spot to the mainframe or whatever on Wall Street so that they can get their orders in slightly faster than their competition. And so when you've got your time scales, when you're when when you are measuring your life like we're not meant to 
in nanoseconds. And, and that that I think that that's the theory anyway, that there's so much change happening because yeah, it's something, I mean, we're constant news, 24 seven news, social media, you're always, I mean, you used to have to send a letter in the mail and it would take a week or whatever. Now it's instant communication. So it's, it, the theory is, is because time has, has been so, we can measure it so finitely now uh, to, to the nanosecond that that's why these things, it seems like things are, and, and it's not just seems, but things are changing very fast. But I, I would add to that, though, even if you do unplug from social media, like you do, you know, detox from like, for example, I've gotten rid of cable. I don't have, you know, CNN or Fox. I don't have any of that shit. Um, I'm I mean, I mean, Aaron was just talking about for fuck's sake. He was at the grocery store and the goddamn bag boy was saying too bad about Trump. got elected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't get away from it. I mean, you live in Seattle, for fuck's sake, and you, you're going to have some motherfucker bitching about this. It's impossible. I mean, unless you're going to literally, you know, like you said, be like Henry David Thoreau and go live, you know, uh, on Walden Pond or something. How the fuck can you get away from it? It's impossible. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm not going to watch the right, news. Right. It's, it's it's not possible. And the, the other thing is you got to interact with people at some point and those people are going to, they're not going to have all those beliefs um, pinned to their chest or their arms and wear it on their sleeve. It's going to be, but it's going to be there and it will, you know, you, you say the wrong thing, you utter the wrong thought crime. Um, and they, it just, you have no idea now, um, what you're dealing with. And I think the other problem is that's why you see a lot of these, we like just the weird phenomenon with, um, people who happen to be Trump supporters who, I mean, uh, try explaining to somebody in 1995 during the NBA season, Dennis Rodman being the ambassador to North Korea for president Donald Trump. Like, <laughs> just, I, was just, I was just thinking about this. I was like, dude, like, I remember when I was a kid we were following Dennis Rodman, you know, he was that guy who could get the, um. Uh, get the ball if somebody missed a shot. Rebounds, rebounds. Yeah, he rebound. Yeah, he rebound was a rebound. King. He was the rebound king. And uh, but he was kind of a weird guy. And then when it's like now, it's like th these guys. And then you have um, people who are traditionally on the left who are now um, Trump supporters, or, or they get in trouble for just saying something. It's because um, that's what happens when your views. You, you're, you're like if you are '90s um, uh, left winger or a Democrat, and you got put in a chirogen. Um, one of those those cryogenic you know, freeze. cryogenic uh, chambers, and you woke up today. You would be like the 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 country is changing so fast. If your views are not changing along with them, you can't you can't just adopt a certain view and be like, okay, this is what you're supposed to believe. You have to wake up every single day if you're if you are wanting to be one of those people, um, and you have to check your social media to find out. Oh, what have, what am I being told? Now is the latest thing I need to care about. And we it's good for us to know to be aware. It's it's sort of like um, uh, you, you want to be aware of what the, the the battlefield looks like. You want to know what the terrain looks like. You don't want to go in there uh, and, and not know what you're dealing with. Um, and especially for, I would say, for people who are, are either trying to comment on it or explain what's going on, because I think a lot of people have absolutely no idea uh, how to explain the the situation that we have in our country but that's because they don't they're not looking at everything um or, or staying up to date i can say I, I was gonna say i wrote down i wanted to make sure i said kudos to john for for um doing all that research to prevent something bad from happening in his neighborhood right and i think you're you're an anomaly i mean i i just actually uh i just quit the that government board, I, I, it's one down, one to go. Congratulations. The, the job's coming next. And, and there's just so few people that are willing to put in that kind of work to to make a difference. 
that that's why things have it's sort of like there's an inertia and if you don't have enough people like john and enough people that get involved it's just going to happen because yeah things are changing so fast i mean obama was against gay marriage at the beginning of his presidency right i mean they they made a big point of being against gay marriage and that's not an issue that um that i don't really i don't really care about that issue but but the fact that that changed so quickly and now it's just it's just that's the way that it is there's you nobody talking them. about it anymore. And so things are changing fast, but it, it, I go back to it's the people's fault. It's because everything's so easy um, that they just don't want to put in the effort to actually try to try to fight against it. They'd rather just get steamrolled, I guess. Well, I mean, like, for example, the, the, the example that I was giving them that happened here to stop the, the homeless thing, the reason I did that wasn't necessarily out of some civic duty or something like that. I had a vested interest. I own this yeah, property. Was gonna, yeah. You know, it was going to. But I mean, yeah, there was a lot of lethargy on other people that had, you know, just as much interest as I did. Mm -hmm. And they seemed to be upset about it, but they didn't, weren't able to they weren't able to seem to be able to apply their energy and their intellect to actually attacking the problem. That's um, exactly what happened here in my neighborhood just recently. It's the same thing. You try to get people involved. You try to say, this is going to happen if you do nothing. And they do nothing. And it's 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 just maddening that people will not uh, have a vested interest in their future. Well, it's very yeah, defeating it's on my end. When your future is tied to theirs, it's really frustrating. I mean, because normally right. you know, Aaron would say, well, you know, f fuck them. You know, let them die, and and I, you know, I agree with that to some extent. But a lot of times, you know, they're gonna, you're you're tied to them with a rope or a chain. So if they go overboard, they're taking you with them. So you can't you can't always right. be like that, you know. Well, I mean, and, and that's been the problem with I think for for men like us, where we th we we're more inclined towards individualism because we just we are outside thinkers and we're um, a little maybe contrarian or or willing to be considered outside of normal society on on these things but the problem with that is that we rely on other people one way or another um to for our lives to work um and to live the lives that we live and if they decide not to you know uh, play along on that it, but like the decisions they make affect us um in, in regardless of whether it's your yeah like with the the condo situation um that you had imagine if you hadn't been president um of the condo uh Board, but somebody else was president of the condo board and decided to you know actively discourage anybody from causing problems about it or, or it's just you, you 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 rely on other people to do the right thing um in so many ways we just don't notice um like right. when they're driving on the road like like it's almost like oh this person's a bad driver or they drive drunk you know they're gonna crash their car great they'll they may crash their car into yours they may run you over or they may hit Cappy when he's on his motorcycle riding along. Like we, we rely on other people to know how to drive their cars. We rely on other people to show up to work every single day. Um, you know, in some sectors of society, others, it would actually probably be productive if they didn't show up to work, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it, but I'm seeing that around me here and, and elsewhere. It's like, you know, we can only run away from the pro and I would agree with uh, John on this. You can't run away from the problem. You can't go to the woods and we, it, not only can not everybody live like Henry David Thoreau, but it's not even something that's viable anyways, because people will come there. Um, you just get a few uh, years or maybe a year or maybe even less to, to enjoy it to yourself, but then other people move over there. And as a group, as a collective, they have influence over how you're able to live your life. And even Walden, I, I read Walden a long time ago. And my, my initial reaction was, 
this guy didn't just live on his own. He was dependent on other people. Yeah, yeah, that's and, it's and a total myth. It's a total uh, myth uh, that he was just living by himself. He required he depended on other people to to live that lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Well, well you need dentalists are all fags anyway. I didn't care for Emerson <laughs> or Thoreau, but I I hate to say it, but it's only because um, maybe I've gone down this rabbit rabbit hole a little bit more. Um, but one of the more hurtful things in the past year or two I found is just speaking to to John's point and DT's point about how your neighbors who presumably are not ranked leftist socialist communists, when you say, "Hey guys, we gotta." rally up and do all this and people are like yeah yeah let's do it yeah and then when it comes time like nobody yeah. shows up yeah um it, it taught it taught me a very important lesson where you it, it's a great great quote from a song called ministry called jesus built my hot rod and it starts out where you come from it's gone where you thought you were going to weren't never there and where you are ain't no good unless you can get away from it and <laughs> unfortunately this has forced me to believe that the best strategy is kind of this rear guard action where you constantly withdraw and you have as minimum reliance upon other people, yeah. left or right, doesn't matter because these people presumably on the right are, are just simply not left. That I'm finding out that doesn't mean they're any more responsible or reliable. Matter of fact, they're a bunch of hypocrites because for every adamant conservative right wing libertarian, you find out he's this fat, lazy slob collecting a government check and lives at home. And so what I've found, not only do you have to unplug for your own sanity and happiness, because I only got 35 years left of life on this planet. I am not wasting it getting upset on a Twitter feed or Facebook or watching CNN or Fox News. Um, but in order, like, to maintain my lifestyle, to maintain my happiness, to make sure I have, I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going to lose the majority of my investment. You have to constantly keep on going and rely on fewer and fewer people. So the number of people I rely on is very little and probably the least I can. Um, but inevitably, yeah, you do rely on some people, but then all of a sudden to make sure you're not completely dependent on those people, you have to be willing to move. You have to be willing to sacrifice. In, in, in the olderbrother.com, the older brother of the podcast is a perfect example of it. You know, I got a strike on my YouTube channel. All right, I can't. I have to have another line of income. I have to have redundancy built into my life. So it's this constant arms race of diversifying sources, diversifying revenue income, diversifying people you're reliant upon. Um, and just it's almost taking a uh, survivalistic batten down the hatches type of thing. And oh, by the way, let's build another battleship while we're at it, just right. in case, because it's happening. I, I think, oh, go ahead, John. No, I was gonna say, Aaron, that, that's brilliant. Like I, I found out like, you know, to go back to my my just little example with the stopping the homeless shelter was I got people involved. Like one of the things I did was I called a, a special homeowners meeting, you know, got everyone out there and you know, got them. I actually drove some people to the to the uh, to the meeting we had to protest it. Uh, because it has to go before all these reviews and everything like that. I got everybody there. I got them vocal. I got them talking about the fact that they would be convicted felons in there. Uh, you know, I did all this research on there. I got people riled up. You know what I mean? And then I noticed when people had a, a cause to fight for, you know, you'd be surprised. Every once in a while, there was people that would get, you know, uppity and things like that. And, you know, I mean, we it was kind of nice for a little while. We had, a, 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 you know, the building kind of all kind of came together and worked as a collective, and it was pretty powerful. 
I think that that this kind of dovetails in a weird way to um, what I was thinking about the whole national anthem football thing is that a lot of people, they as long as you give them a, a way to escape reality and escape the situation, they're not going to get motivated to really try and make changes in the world around them. But when you you deprive them of like, you know, like look at Gamergate. Gamergate was this final pushback against um you know, whatever wave of feminism was going on because they were going after the video games. And then you see them going after their, their NF, the NFL stuff. It's like, as long as you don't touch their entertainment uh, stuff, like imagine how many, how many of the people, would you have to motivate these people if Netflix canceled their subscriptions and said, we're not serving you anymore? Right, yeah, or, or did something like that? No, they would say they they would be up in arms. They'd be calling up the people the next day. So people are very, very weird and finicky about what will rile them up. And what what's um and and the the fool and the idiot will pick that as a as a place to to make a political statement because rather than going somewhere else where they're not going to make a big deal about it lost Agreed. your last part there what did you say oh just um i was saying how uh, if you, it's amazing when how people don't realize this like the whole nfl kneeling thing um they they pick the absolute worst spot to do it at the the area where people are going to get upset and actually stop watching football or, right. or but if you do that in other areas they're not going to make a big deal about it because they're just kind of like what uh, john was saying is he, he had to drive people over there but if they canceled this netflix subscriptions if the if that board had been responsible for it they would have been at the meeting and they would have like crawled they would have crawled under barbed wire to get there <laughs> and yell at them and say you know why are you taking away my my netflix account now i can't watch the latest season of game of thrones or something like that well that's something that the left is really good at they pay for the buses right yeah <laughs> they pay yeah. they pay for it and and that's something the the right well, is they, really well, they lousy the at they get the government to pay for it i mean that's yeah. how obama's career started he started as a community organizer what right. the fuck kind of bullshit job is that right, right? So basically what he did is he started some sort of or went to work for some sort of fucking nonprofit that was almost entirely funded with taxpayer fucking money, took a fucking salary, used it to finance his fucking Senate race. And then he had all these fucking leftist fags vote him in. But they but they I guess the, the, the left is did they just recognize and react to human nature a little better than the right? I guess. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 they know that if you're going to. If you want to get what you want, you've got to pay people to do it. You've got to actually, you know, basically hold their hand and, okay, go into the bus. Here's your talking points. Here's what you say. Here's your signs. Here's your pussy hat. Here's whatever whatever it is. And they just give them everything so that they're ready to go. And it's grassroots, right? And then, but the right, I guess we're too independent-minded. The right, thinking. the right, the fact that, again, and I like the guy. I support him fully. The fact the right has all of a sudden now discovered Jordan Peterson yes. is just how slow draw McGraw they all are. I mean, they But are. if Jordan Peterson fucks up once, the right will throw him under the bus. And they if will. He says, yep. If he says something wrong, the, oh, I have nothing to do with just that like guy. My, and, uh, yeah. Well, and um, you, you're talking about uh, just now about the, the fact that they're they were the left spawns better to human nature i think it's also personality or psychological or emotional but there's most most average people are just sort of go along get along they're not interested in in agitating or getting emotionally worked up about something or or, or going around and act being an activist minded type person so what you can have is a small group of people who who do that and you almost kind of see this i've seen this in sales jobs that i've worked at where the most a lot of not all but the most successful salesman i knew once he just got in people's comfort zones 
um, and just stayed there until they bought whatever he was trying to sell them. Like that was his tactic. And so that's what a lot of people do is they know that if you get in people's comfort, like uh, disturb people's comfort zones, it's easier for them to just give you what you want instead of actually fight you. Um, and I think that, that we see that a lot in with with politics. It's like, okay, just give them what they want and let's just move on. Like it's, it, they don't want to actually fight it out um, in in and actually take care of the problem completely. They just want to give the band aid. You know, they want to give the, it's sort of like, it's almost like with parenting um, where the parent just gives the kid the cookie um, whenever he stomps his feet and screams, as opposed to saying, no, I'm actually going to fight this out with you and keep saying no until you learn your lesson. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's actually a very good comparison because I do think of leftists as pretty much petulant children. They are, they never stop. They might retreat a little bit, but they will come back to say, what are they going to do? Get a real job? They're going to go work? That's the only – That's their, their survival depends on getting free handouts all the time. So they might recoup. They might – I mean, and another perfect example, John, is it probably was easier for them. They're like, whoa, this guy put up a fight. Well, there's a piece of property down here where there's no yep. community organizer who's going to put up a stink. And so that's they go the path of least resistance. But trust you me, they're not going away. I mean, and this is a question I always like asking leftists. I say, how much is enough? Like when will you be happy? And the reason I ask that question is because there is an objective answer. Or maybe not an objective answer, but there's an objective way to measure how much is they say, well, I don't know. What do you mean how much? I say right now you take 40% of GDP. What percent more of the economy do you want? Do you want 80%? Do you want it all? What is it? Just so we know. So let's stop dicking around and arguing about it. Say, all right, we want 70% of the economy. Fine. Let's vote on it. If the society doesn't want it, screw you. You don't get your 70%. But I would just like to have you know some numbers, but they'll ne they will not stop and Venezuela, the history of communism, it proves it all. They will not stop until they have it all. And then when they get it all, they'll still bitch and whine when they don't have it all because the economy is not working and they need to get like, uh, you know, they got to blame, like in the Soviet days, they blame capitalist infiltrators. Right. They, it, it never ends. Uh, Tom never. Woods described it in the most accurate way possible is that their their philosophy and ideology is perpetual revolution through the state so it's it's continuous it's never ending it doesn't stop and so people are always thinking oh this is the view to adopt or this is the policy to adopt no that's the policy you adopt for today and once you achieve that it's sort of like scoring a touch uh, touchdown during a football game you score that touchdown the game is over you go you score another touchdown or basketball or whatever but you don't just end it doesn't end there you move on to the next thing and then when you still haven't achieved your goal or your objective you start blame even when you're in charge. Oh, and that's the other thing that they do is is they will be totally obviously in charge, but it's always they're they're not in charge. They're still fighting the system. They're still oh yeah, um, Flint's water they're supply. Still, they're still yeah. the rebels. Like you know, you saw that when the 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 Bolsheviks took over in uh, 1917, I believe. You know, and they tried to institute communism, and it was a total failure, and they had to do reforms. Well, then they started doing. The, I mean, you saw saw this with the French Revolution too. They take over, and then they start doing purges because. To, to blame for all the problems that they instituted, like when France instituted the 10 day week and abolished um, the church and all these other things that just caused total chaos in the society. Well, then you have to blame somebody for that. And then what happens, of course, then the revolutionaries get executed themselves and the Communist Party got purged. I, I, th I think it was like 90%. I could be wrong, but I recall reading a book 90% of the Communist Party members during Stalin's purges were either um, sent to harsh labor camps or were executed. I mean, yeah. these are all the people who were 
part of the original movement and that but the problem is is they didn't either they didn't keep up or they presented a threat to him now stalin didn't get rid of people for ideological reasons he was paranoid and he was smart he knew that he had to get rid of people who were going to present a threat to him but that's what it like there's never a period where they're like dude we're done we, we, we got what we wanted kind of like with the abolitionists after the civil war uh, they closed all their their places because they're like we we achieved like the 13th amendment we we there's no purpose for us to be yeah they went home and lived lives they, they went home and lived their lives um but that doesn't happen with these groups because um one their ideology is just not tenable it, it's it's economically um uh it, it does it always falls apart um so it, it's a continuous effort to try to uh, go go upstairs where there's never an end to it right they have nothing else that's that's my point is they have no real point and purpose of, of living in life. Again, this is in part why I do the clarity test is go look at their background. See, you're rarely going to see a, a happily married father of three who's uh, an accountant and, and plays softball. It's always their career and their profession is the religion and their politics. And it's just there's there's nothing and there's nothing else for them to do but continue the parasitism and continue going up those. And you try and like try and warn them say like look you got to do something productive or or worthwhile but their fear of an actual job and the labor that's required with it is just too daunting just too scary so they'll they will waste their entire lives ruining other people's lives including their own for some bullshit political religion uh that that has never never served or had any kind of success in life or served any human being in in its entire existence i think though there's also an attraction to uh, if you here's the thing, if you want to have power, you look at a problem that cannot uh, be solved, and then you tell people, "Give me power, and I'll solve the problem." You're you're guaranteed a um, a, a a timeless um, claim to power. And so, wait, hang on, let me let me interrupt for a second. For example, if I claimed I could make American women thin again. I'd have unlimited power because that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking more like <laughs> if you could really do well, it. <laughs> if, if you recall, like you know how uh, Christ said that uh, you'll always have the poor with you. So whenever somebody talks about any poverty, I immediately think you you understand that that's never going to happen because one, poverty is all a matter of comparison to someone else. Um, somebody who's poor in America in 2016 or to the current year is. That's not poor in in, uh, in the Horn of Africa or wherever. It's all a matter of they're poor to the person next to them. So when somebody's trying to solve poverty, they're trying. Oh, we lost them again. TJ, you up there? Curious about is whether or not they actually. Yeah, I'm still there. Um, whether or not they actually know that, and that's part of the strength because they know that poverty is never going to get solved, so they're never going to have to admit that and give up their power. Whereas say we're tr like somebody who's trying to end slavery in the United States, that was a tenable goal. Mm. Um, if you were an abolitionist back in the day, it was, it was objection. Uh, you, you, it was, you could objectively measure it with the, the law has been passed. It is legally done and done. Yeah. The constitution was amended. It's closed. Yeah. The constitution was meant like we're done. Like the, the, nobody denied it. Nobody was like, well, you know, uh, and came up with something else because it was an it was a very clear objective that you could that anybody could look at as opposed to any poverty what does that look like right no and the same thing sexism education uh special ed i no, it, it can, and, and when the problem is actually solved you just change the fuck. definition of what the problem is um yeah there, there's um 
Sorry about that. I thought I had to turn it off. Um, the, 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 you know, what, what's that expression? The revolution ultimately eats itself, right? Right. Um, one of the things right. that you're beginning to see now is that the, the left has pretty much gotten everything that they wanted, right? Like, let's just just go in a recent time period where we're all we're all adults and remember this. You know, it started out with like the gay marriage, right? <laughs> now it's to the point where you have transsexuals in the fucking military. Um, it, you, you have, uh, you know, which is really going to be, you know, and now you can just identify with whatever uh, sex you, you feel you are. I mean, uh, there was a three-year-old that came out as a homosexual. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was three, I didn't know what the fuck sex was. Um, so it, it's, it's just gotten so extreme. And so eventually now it's to the point where they're having to kind of eat their own now, right? Because you seem like what you know with the. I thought the Harvey Weinstein was just great because this guy was you know best friends with Hillary Clinton and <laughs> Meryl Streep and, and and all that stuff and just you know the whole Me Too movement just you know and then now the awkwardness of Bill Clinton I don't know he was he's doing some book tours he's claiming that he co-wrote a book with uh, what's that guy's name Patterson um, some fiction book and they asked him all these questions about yeah Monica Lewinsky and you know all this kind of stuff I mean the guy's a fucking rapist he raped Juanita Broderick for fuck's sake. Um, so eventually, you're—that's what you're seeing now. Is there? It's kind of like the the Stalinist purges you see that's going on right now. So I'm hoping that they they'll start eating enough of their own that it'll distract them, and we can fight. You know, it stop doing a rearguard action and maybe go on the offensive a little bit because history has a way. You know, the the cliche of the pendulum and stuff like that, but there is a lot of truth in it. It does tend to swing back and forth. Um, you know, like the, you had the French Revolution, and then you and then it went to you know they they said fuck that and they got Napoleon. You know, so it it uh, it does go back and forth. Well, like I said, they only got to keep the lights on for another thirty-five years. That's that's really all. It's <laughs> all about you, right, Aaron? <laughs> it is all about me. Hey, you know what though? You know who doesn't have another thirty-five years? Uh, Bob De Niro. No, Anthony Bourdain, because he's <laughs> right. dead, uh, huh? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well, was it some? Someone was saying that they think he was killed by because he owed his heroin dealers money or something. No, no, no. I, you know what? I don't care because <laughs> I have, I have, I have the social media and CNN. Anytime I log in, I'm not even on social media. I just go to Bing or Google or you, Yahoo. You know, I log out and there's the Anthony Bourdain. This Anthony Bourdain. I'm like, get Anthony Bourdain out of my ass. I didn't like him. <laughs> he was this overrated. He's like as overrated as Anderson Cooper. It's not Ooh. a shock he worked for CNN. I don't give a shit that he was some hippie, hippie vagabond traveler. And they all made it sound like he sacrificed and traveled all over the world and ate food. I'm like, oh, he traveled <laughs> all over the world eating food at CNN's <laughs> dime. I'm like, what a fucking... <laughs> what a rough life. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, I gotta take off, so... Um... Uh, yeah, it's a great conversation. You guys keep going if you want to, but I, I gotta, I gotta bounce. Oh, I, thanks for coming on. Happy, happy internet birthday, there, DT. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care, man. Thanks. Uh, we could probably finish yeah, up. Yeah, should wrap it up too. It's good. Yeah, because you gotta go do things. I gotta pee. Uh, to be honest. Um, and then uh, we gotta eat and all that other stuff. All right, uh, John. Why don't you do your shout out for your um, YouTube channel? Yeah, John. Uh, well, my YouTube channel is just uh, the John Steele Show on YouTube. But you better a quicker way to find me is um, uh, John underscore Steele ninety nine, and Steele is spelled S T E E L E, and then ninety nine. 
John underscore skill 99. There's a link to my YouTube channel, which uh, I interviewed Aaron on one on one. I was just going back and forth on the world's reserve currency and the possibility of a dollar collapse. Yeah. Did you That's get it. any new uh, did you put any new ones up? Oh uh, no, I haven't. I need I need a uh, I need someone to uh, interview. Um, someone that's uh, willing that I find interesting. So uh, maybe we talk off air. You should contact me with you should, you should contact me with, with with who to talk to. Yeah, this TJ Martinell guy. You might like him. He's from Seattle. You guys might know something about Seattle. Uh, <laughs> you might be educated. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, TJ, if you're interested, we can do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, uh, Aaron, send me his contact information on Twitter. I will. I will. Yeah, right, and I'll, I'm going to do that. And yeah, I'll, I'll I'll line you up with a bunch of other people that I happen to have contacts with. Uh, oh, TJ, tell tell everybody about you and your stuff uh, and where they can find you. Yeah, you can go to my website tjmartinell.com. I got a, a podcast weekly podcast, Mountain Pass podcast at soundcloud.com/tjmartinell, uh, and then um, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com/tjmartinell. So pretty straightforward. And then I've got two books on Amazon: The Stringers and The Informers. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, most of you guys already know my stuff, but if you be kind to, you can always check out the Older Brother podcast and the Clary podcast. That's on SoundCloud. Look up the Clary podcast. You'll find it. We have my books on Amazon.com. We got Bachelor Pet Economics, Worthless, Curse of the High IQ, Black Man's Got Out of Poverty, Reconnaissance Man, and Poor Richard's Retirement. Uh, trust you me, I give you a 1,000% rate of return guarantee on those books because if you read them, you'll make 10 times the amount that you spent on them. Uh, so like 500 bucks if you do that. It's, it's not a big gamble I'm, or guarantee I'm making there. Patreon.com slash Aaron Clary if you want to go ahead and donate some cash. But honestly, just go and do all your Amazon affiliate shopping through my Amazon affiliate program. I will have all the links down below in the description for the videos there. And real quick, oh, good news, guys. Um, Hang on. Um, This channel might be monetized by next week and certainly by the week after so we will be able to do super chats yes and so we're speaking if i'm on when mm -hmm. he chooses to have the next show i am going to make sure that uh if aaron doesn't read those super chats i promise i will because unlike aaron i listen to what our our uh listeners are saying in the chat <laughs> no I, and i do i appreciate it and and I, i'm thinking i'm thinking i won't but i'm thinking i'm just gonna tell you i'm thinking about giving you a cut of the super chats because that actually is a good service to have like somebody keeping an eye on it because I got to maintain the main board. But uh, just to tell people who are interested in the, in the history here, um, you need 240,000 minutes of listening or 4,000 hours of listening before you can monetize your channel. And we're already up. I looked like 153,000 and it's only been two, maybe three weeks. So if it keeps going at this rate, we'll hopefully have the um, – this channel will be monetizable. We'll have the Super Chats. I do want to bring that in regularly because I do want to interact with the audience a little bit more because that's one of the main reasons to do live stream. Um, yeah, that's and, the whole and, point of us doing it live actually, I think. the audience, and, and speaking of getting the, the numbers up so we can do that and, and have more interaction with the audience. Hey, guys, are you listening? There's 42 of you. Those who haven't clicked the like button, click oh, it. Yeah. They'll show up more. So click that like button, please. Appreciate it. Yeah, like it and then and send it. That's the other thing. It's word of mouth. I know everyone's like, buy people on Twitter. No, just send it to friends if you like. Hey, guys who are like looking at buying houses, you're millennials, send it to them. I mean, we had some great conversations here to help people. But yeah, do comment, like, and subscribe, and that really does help out. So, All right, well, listen, uh, John, uh, TJ, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it, and we'll uh, do it next week. All right, All right guys. Great talking. I got to head out. out.